Hi, I'm Liam O'Rourke. It was reported this week that UFC might be getting sold for $4 billion. Conversely, the current bid for Dixie Carter's TNA stands at $26, a Best of Conway Twitty CD, a free ride on the carousel at the Jefferson County Fair, and a glazed ham. I'm Kieran O'Rourke, and a few weeks ago I predicted that Conor McGregor would unretire, that Jon Snow would return from the dead, and at WrestleMania next year, I'm gonna bang Sasha Banks. Roll on Mania. I'm Cole Jones. I'm watching this new era. I'm very envious of all this talent that's reaching for the brass ring. Only time I ever think of the brass ring is after a chicken vindaloo. And I'm G. John Chase. This is an order for Hornswoggle who's finally been let go after 10 years. Na 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 na. You suck. Na 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 na. I hate you. Hey hey hey. Fuck off. This is the panel for the 83rd Squared Circle Gazette Radio. And you can hear us talk about great episodes of wrestling television next. Welcome to the 83rd Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke, alongside G. John Chase. I'm a midget hater. Carl Jones. I've had nothing to do for the last two weeks. <laughs> I'm Kieran O'Rourke. I'll miss that fucking ball. This week's show, we've got a very interesting topic of discussion. It's one that we kind of banded around uh, months ago, gentlemen. And uh, there was a post on the UK fan forum not all that long ago talking about favourite episodes of Raw and Smackdown ever. And it kind of uh, jogged my memory that we wanted to do a show on wrestling television. So, of course, today we are going to be talking about favourite episodes of wrestling television. Obviously, best is, uh, you know, in terms of quality, it's always a subjective term. So rather than say best, let's go with favourite and what people kind of prefer in their television shows. I think it's quite an interesting topic. We threw it out to you, the loyal listeners, of course, to uh, send us your nomination for your favourite episode of wrestling television of all time uh, we have of course a litany as always so uh, we're going to get to them right away we'll get to our own nominations uh, throughout the course of the show I'm sure as well but we'll kick it off here with the Condor from TPWW who for his nomination uh, mentioned March 30th 1998 we recently talked about this on the Monday Night War timeline shows uh, that you can go back and listen to it squaredsucklegazette.com of course uh, this is the Raw after Wrestlemania 14 uh, the show was money from beginning to end he says Max Power on the UK fan forum says that he has two that are standouts to him first the Raw after Wrestlemania 14. As you recently discussed on the timeline, it's a whole new company. Austin is crazy over. Rocky kicks Farouk out the nation. Triple H picks up the ball that Sean dropped. X-Pac cuts Carl's favourite ever promo. And the difference <laughs> in the seven day period from this show and the go home show for Mania is like night and day. And it's a good one to kick off on because when we were actually talking about this months ago, but again before we got into this show in the timeline, this was the one that immediately came to mind just because when I was a kid... This was the one that I never saw the show again after it happened, but obviously everyone sees the bits and pieces of the angles that happened on this show. And it was a show that I just remember thinking at the time it felt like tons of stuff happened on this show. In, in a business that was accelerating rapidly, it seemed, by the week in terms of, of what was going on. This was one of those shows where, again, a whole new world, no Sean, no Brett, a new WWF, debuts, turns, angles all over the place, and obviously... Austin is champion it felt like a new company and uh, this is one of the better ones I think they've ever done it really was like a watershed moment so much changed the direction of the companies the, the direction they've been toying with and going towards for months anyway but it was now they, they were all all in on it um, you know Austin's the champion really symbolising that change in direction and philosophy the, the DX stuff is like again that's something that's been there in the back kind of felt it should happen for ages um, obviously we said they teased it before before turning their back on it um, again as a natural fit Rock just getting his place and just being absolutely the ruler of the nation the ruler <laughs> of the nation yeah um, yeah really good really good show definitely up there oh, that X-Pac promo wonderful stuff that it is um, when you f- float the idea of this topic Liam, it, 
I sort of struggle to narrow down one show in the sense of would I be looking for a sort of show long storylines or just particular moments and as you pointed out with this one we've seen on, on countless you know, DVD releases clips of the Triple H promo before bringing X back in and the, but sort of to, just to, to piggyback on what Kieran said it, it, it is that watershed moment it is the sort of the seminal moment for the company that sort of obviously it doesn't necessarily break through in the ratings just yet but it's it's that sign that they're fully committed to this to the, to the sort of the product they're going to present now and that we'd see over the course of the next well better part of th- three or four years really it, it sets the tone going forward I kind of like uh, along the lines of what Carl was saying about in terms of uh, determining uh, what makes a great show in in my mind um, I'm, I'm thinking more than just necessarily a moment uh, I I, I kind of want to want to see like it doesn't necessarily have to be a continuous story that's told throughout the show, but just a general show that hits several highs throughout it, even if it's not necessarily always all about the main event scene. But and I th- and I think this show actually does come under that because you already mentioned several of the high points. Obviously, this is coming after uh, a fantastic WrestleMania, and I think because of this, this was like the perfect follow up. All very important things, and it all kind of spreads out throughout the show, and all kind of has like a lot of meanings. It's also had a lot of kind of. Um, more kind of deeper impact because it's the fact it was just showing more about the creative direction it's like okay this is a new guy rock is gonna be like the next guy in line and also just as nwo are kind of like crumbling apart in terms of their their whole concept you know they're starting to kind of really scrape the barrel then wwe have now answered by saying well this is our answer to it and it's fresh and it's new so cage match at the end with uh, with foley and funk and the new age outlaws are out there pretty much uh, finally cementing after like a cu- after a couple months tease that these two are in the D- in dx as well like a hot finish to the show as well it's like pretty much step by step throughout the show uh, there were a lot of highs in terms of the new direction they were taking yeah, it's just a lot of, again it's things we haven't even mentioned Club Kamikaze debuting the first Val Venus vignette is on this show as well the Inferno match challenge is made which is just a, a wacky a, a concept you've never heard before in the WWF someone's going to get sun fire this is a crazy idea set up the evening gown match for, for Unforgiven as well so again just so much happening on one show and it is an interesting dynamic and you kind of touched on it there G and it's part of the reason why I wanted to do this show in the first place of when people think of favourite show like you said Kieran it is a bit of a struggle at times to kind of narrow one down Carl you said the same thing as well that's because Carl's got Alzheimer's though I know it is but I mean in terms of actually trying to narrow it down to a favourite show a lot of the listeners had the same problem <laughs> obviously a lot of people think the show with this great moment yeah. and I think that's kind of the interesting thing and we'll track it throughout this what shows stand out to people and what shows don't yeah, yeah. well it's all about personal preference isn't it exactly then. exactly it's what's like favourite yeah, show and not best yeah, show yeah, exactly. we're talking about today um I just want to switch on one thing as well about the X-Pac arrival. That's, it was really important for me in terms of the, the momentum of the company because we've seen all these guys leave and go to WCW. And like we're talking about you know, the, the tribal mentality and the excitement of who's going to turn up. And seeing X-Pac turn up, it's like, shit, stuff can happen on this show too. So yeah. it's like, uh, it's just a little thing, but it was kind of... It felt like the start of the wave going the other way in terms of movement. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to another one here, and this is actually a good follow-up to, to the point we were just talking about. Uh, Max Power on the uh, UK fan form, his second point was, secondly, and I couldn't tell you the correct date, but the one in April 2000 where Jericho wins the belt from Triple H after the Earl Hebner fast count. The pop is insane. The APA play their role to perfection. It's just great storytelling. And a dastardly day on Newstead on TPWW also says this one. Uh, he says the two episodes that come to mind are the uh, the 
Jericho dusty finish and victory of the world title. Or when Takamichi Noku faced off against Triple H for the title, and honest to God had everyone thinking for one second, hook, line, and sinker, that Taka would win the world heavyweight title. Uh, I just remember how interactive the shows were in that time, he says. Uh, it honestly felt like they really had their finger on the pulse during late 99 until maybe 80% of the way through 2000. Triple H in those two episodes of Raw understood exactly how to make the guys around him look amazing while also maintaining his own persona. Uh, everyone involved in a segment or match seemed to be excited and it really bled off on television. I remember particularly when Jericho beat Triple H for the entire rest of the show, it gave off the feeling that anything could happen. And every single performer, it seemed though, uh, had their own special relationship with the fans at the time. Uh, the show is April 17th, 2000, is the one he's talking about. It's again key to note because he mentions there that the big thing on that show that people remember is, is the Jericho Triple H title switch that, that, that wasn't. What actually got an even bigger pop is that this is the show when Linda McMahon announces that Stone Cold's coming back at Backlash to kind of watch The Rock's back against the McMahon-Helmsley regime. And, and Jericho and Triple H started the show. And it actually ends with a six-man with Jericho and the APA against Triple H and DX, where Triple H kick one pedigree on Jericho to get the pin at the end, which a lot of people tend to forget. It's kind of a bit off the topic, really, but it's just Triple H in general. It's like, he's, <laughs> right, he is, I mean, even now, he's really good. Like, really fucking good, but he's almost too good for his own good because he knows that, yeah, he'll give you a little bit of shine, but he's cutting your dick off at the end of the day, so. Yeah, he's also smart enough to know how to take it away as much as give it. Exactly. I, th- I think, in, uh, on reflection, I think uh, that as an individual moment, I thought was uh, was good, watching back on it with Jericho. I thought it was interesting, kind of a little gutted that they, they maybe wasn't a little bit more risky uh, with giving Jericho a little bit more time than that. I'm not saying he has like a massive run or something, but. No. I'm, I'm sorry, no. Timing no. is wrong. No, the timing is wrong. Timing the, only, is wrong. the only person who gets the belt mm. at that stage is The Rock. Yeah. I, I have no problem with, with what what they did for that show. I, I could have done without the finish at the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can say that about many Triple H matches, really. <laughs> couldn't you? Booker T, if you're listening. But I think, again, that, that speaks to um, what you referenced a few minutes ago, Liam, in that I, I think of that as quite a high, high point, and obviously the, the crowd reactions for, for that and for Austin are, are fantastic, but... In terms of the, the show as a whole, it's it's not one that really sticks in my mind. For, for example, the email of theirs said that he he couldn't recall the exact date, and, and I'd have been much the same. I could I could tell you there was a show in April where Jericho well, won the belt for about thirty minutes, but I couldn't tell you when it was or, or anything else that happened on that show. So in terms of sort of a classic episode of wrestling television, I'm not too sure it's there for me. Actually, why? And, and I respect the person's opinion. If they thought it was a really great moment, I think if I watched it at the time. It would have been a great moment, oh, but nuts. it didn't. I, uh, now, the thing is, this is the funny thing. I, I was watching 2000. I, I don't remember this at all. Like, at the time, I don't remember this ever happening. It's because it got washed I, away the I, same I, Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. That's exactly, yeah. I, I remember them. I remember, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that episode, but I remember seeing, like, it was like Heat or something on Channel 4 or whatever, given, given the highlights. And I remember them talking about Austin returning, but I don't remember them ever saying that Jericho was a champion. I don't remember them ever mentioning it afterwards yeah, that works. <laughs> since, then I, I don't remember them mentioning it when they had their fully loaded match you know as like a kind of like background as like oh remember when Jericho won this I didn't find out that he'd won a title until probably like 2005 something like that when I read about it and I was like I don't fucking remember that at all I, I wouldn't have even been able to tell you the date yeah. I knew nothing from that standpoint but kind of watching it back it's kind of like a nice moment and it's kind of like one of those things like in the back of my mind 
where I got almost like similar to the Edge situation in 2006 where he, where he kind of wins the title and I was like oh man I just wish they, they maybe just took a little risk I know the way they didn't it was obvious that The Rock was going to be and I wasn't going to complain yeah, yeah. And, and, and I wasn't really going to complain necessarily if Triple H kept it because Triple H was freaking on fire in 2000 it was his best year by far but just a little part of me was just like oh, I wonder what would happen if they, the what if? If, they what, if they just went for it yeah, it's, 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 it's me going back to that fully loaded show all over again when I'm thinking of Benoit Angle and Jericho all being given chances and I use that <laughs> wait, very wait. loosely <laughs> oh, three. And, and I was just there and I was even though I was like a fan of The Rock I was like I was willing them to like go over yeah, yeah. Uh, you know those guys because I just wanted to see something mixed up a something little bit fresh. Yeah, it did, it fresh, did, yeah. did need it by July even, even, yeah, yeah I guess so yeah yeah in terms of the show for me um, I got no problem with a one off moment or match being the barometer for picking a great show because that's, that's cool but when on the same show it's all taken away yeah and it's completely meaningless I yeah can't can't be can't consider that for me oh, well, there was a good Hardys versus S.A. Rios and Eddie Guerrero match on yeah. the show to set up your dream match for yeah. Backlash G uh, and also this is actually yeah. this is actually funnily enough the same show when Taz had just won the ECW belt and walked to the ring wearing the ECW title for a three way hardcore match with Crash Holly and who's the other guy Jesus. Saturn and Crash goes over <laughs> it's like there's your ECW world champion but my media I'm sure they'd rectify that. that mistake a couple of days later on <laughs> yeah. Pink on the UK fan forum says there's a roar in the build up to No Way Out 2000 which begins with the McMahon Helmsley regime remember them <laughs> putting Cactus Jack in a 5 on 1 handicap match against some combination of DX and the Radicals uh, the heel team was Triple H X-Pac Benoit Saturn and Malenko with Guerrero yeah. at ringside um, the only sliver of hope for Jack is if he's free to assemble his own team of 5 and if he can find anyone in the locker room with a ball to oppose the world champ and the de facto authority figure. But half an hour later, The Rock, in his absolute babyface prime, gives a backstage promo in which he tells Cactus that the situation isn't five on one, it's five on two. So Rock and Jack come out for the final segment looking like a pair of badasses when two cools boss music goes off and out comes Scotty, Grandmaster and Rikishi to even the odds. What follows is an awesome ten-man tag with a fucking molten crowd which keeps getting louder right through to the post-match shenanigans. It's an excellent roar that climaxes with a match worthy of consideration in any best of raw list. A sublime episode uh, Gordon the Go from the UK fan form says I had this Raw the Jericho title win and the Raw after No Way Out with all the Foley tributes on the same VHS God bless Longplay uh, this Raw is probably my favourite ever because it tells such a great self-contained story while still playing a big key part in the big picture I love Too Cool The Rock and Cactus Jack and there was so much legitimate heat on Triple H when I look back it all plays out perfectly the surprise ending and shenanigans as well really add to everything the crowd is at a fever pitch and uh, Al on Pro Wrestling only says it's the February 2nd 2000 episode of Raw ending in a 10-man tag it comes to mind uh, though I haven't seen it since its original airing uh, this was uh, the reason I like this show again it, it is a great self-contained yeah. story where at the start of the show the radicals are baby faces turn heel at the start but you also yeah. get the Triple H promo where they announce Hell in a Cell with the career-ending stipulations and then uh, as was mentioned there in the feedback Rock joins Too Cool joins blistering 10-man tag in Dallas and even your boy Kane gets some shine at the end that is a great suggestion there from the emails the crowd really did lose their shit for that main event they were they were absolutely off the charts um, it, it has that that self-contained story through the show which is kind of where my mind was going as I say when we, when we first raised this this topic but um, you know, and, it, and it's a show that uh, a few of you around the table mentioned in your Good, the Bad and the Ugly um, show for the year 2000 and it was I always find it sort of just as a, as a wider point on TV during that period to me personally it had rebounded to such an extent from the from the end of 99 oh yeah yeah because I think you know by contrast that that period really doesn't hold up well um, 
the days of the boss man title. Yeah, push. the bo- the boss man title. Big Show is champion. Yeah, Rock's kind of feuding with Al Snow, kind you know wrestling the Outlaws. Looks so, so completely isolated and positioned so poorly and so so undeservingly of someone of that talent. <laughs> um, and there's mixed weight game, which I you know take to heart, but. Uh, <laughs> It helps to cement the uh, the radicals as well, albeit briefly as sort of legitimate players. You know, it's not the typical bring them in and, and bury WCW guys. They try and no, that was the week before. Yeah. Smackdown. <laughs> that, was, that was the week before. But they, they, they at least you know they're they're trying to make a point of highlighting them, and it's try, you know trying to elevate Too Cool and, and and Rikishi who who'd been getting over to a great extent following on from, from the MSG show at the Rumble where you know, that visual of the crowd clapping along before they dance here's the thing Carl because like, you've been watching that, that late 99 period I actually wanted to ask you because we were talking off air earlier today actually about mm. how when you go back and watch these old shows it becomes quite clear how quick it really how quick it really is to get over huge um, yeah, we've seen like Enzo and Cass get over very well on the main roster currently which I think is a, a good comparison but like, Too Cool was not around for long by this point as a unit Rikishi was it like the, like the start of January I want to say yeah they started doing the Rikishi they, Too Cool stuff. Um, was it late December? It, it, it was. It was in. It was in December. It was. It was um, a week or two before Armageddon, I think. Prophecy, but you know, just a few weeks before that, uh, Too Cool were part of the the heel tag team with the, with the Hollies series. and the Survivor yeah. Series, and and they were you know they were quite cold coming in. That was that was the sort of the death spot match, if you like, on that card in many respects. So it just goes to show, in, in the space of two months, you know, they're getting cheered out the building for uh, MSG, and we know how harsh a New York crowd can be at the, you know, at the best of times, you know, to the point where they're on main events in Raw and doing a monster to, number too. Yeah, and, to, to, and a couple of months later they're winning the tag belts. Yeah, you know, so that's sort of that rapid trajectory. And, and Rikishi's uh, uh, probably an even better example. Debuts a few weeks later. How massively do those crowds pop when they put the goggles on him at, you know, at the end of each match? It's, yeah, yeah. It, it does show. Uh, well, it's great when you see that the, the camera pans back and everyone's doing the clapping yeah. overhead. That's just awesome. And it, and it's funny because we talk about how quickly things sort of escalated in 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 '98, how fast moving the business was. But I think you know it shows that it, the effects are still there in 2000. Like you say, how quickly talent's able to get over. Yeah, I, th- I think I think this show um, kind of perfectly shows just how fucking awesome 2000 was when it was at its best don't take exception for the, for the actual build up as well as you mentioned with the, with the turn of, of the radicals which was just a perfect setup. crowd was stonking hot which is always going to you know help uh, an enjoyment of an overall show the rock is just fucking you know he's the second coming of Jesus Christ and, and, and Foley's not too far behind and, and it's also I was, I was one of these fucking marks for too cool as well yeah yeah they, they, you know, like the Hardys and Edge and Christian. I loved all those, but like too cool. There was something about that stupid act, the goggles on and the worm and all that stuff. I fucking pop for it every time. It's yes. such a ridiculous gimmick, but it's fun. And just so we're clear, I did not cheer once for Kane returning. Of course, you didn't, Carl. Also on the show, Kurt Angle gives May Young an angle slam. That's a high point too. It's wonderful. Uh, it's brilliant after, after a match with Mark Henry, which is uh, not the best, but the uh, the angle slam is magnificent. Um, moving on here to another suggestion Alan Shaw on the F4W message board says there's a roar just after Wrestlemania 13 with the Steve Austin Bret Hart street fight that I remember being really good uh, Dooley on Pro Wrestling only says the episode of Raw in 97 uh, with the Hart Austin street fight deserves another mention just a really captivating couple of hours of television where they were really trying things that seem cliche now but weren't tried yet at that time the follow up the next week with Brian Pillman going all evangelical is a worthy mention too that episode with the street fight is 
fucking brilliant. Austin in the ambulance. Austin in the ambulance. Oh, fuck, yeah. This we've talked about this uh, not too long ago, but this is the episode where Austin calls out Brett. They're in the jeans. They did the street fight in jeans to start the, the show. Countdown on the Titan Tron. Yeah, they, they really get the mileage out. They don't just throw it out there cold. They really build it up. He goes to the hospital. You're Owen and Davey. It's his leg. It's his leg. <laughs> and then yeah, the rest of the show you got them hunting Austin. You got Sean who's hunting them. You get the crazy scene at the end where they, they jump Austin, and then Brian Pillman comes out of the stand at the end of the show in his uh, fantastic tie-dye trousers and jumps Austin to end the show. It's just it's chaos all over the place, but uh, oh, I just love it. All these moving parts coming together and just oh, it's really clicking. Austin is just he's on fire. So said it every every week on, the, on these shows, but he really is on fire. Um, and it's again yeah, real fluid fluid motion going on with this stuff. It's really good. Yeah, this is a great example of a show-long story type of thing that we were talking about before. And these are the ones that really kind of stand out in the yeah. mind for me is when it's like the great setup, but the developments of this story kind of thread throughout the show. Great little piece of wrestling television. Um, Ash C on the UK fan forum, and this is why I've, I've kind of mentioned this one now. Off the top of my head, I can't see past the April 10th, 2000 episode of Nitro. It's mental, but it's wildly entertaining. Now, this is the first show of the Bischoff... Russo regime oh. the real throwing shit at the wall episode <laughs> oh. of Nitro now this is the complete opposite of the show that we just mentioned which is why yeah. I, I feel fit to mention it here because while well, that was a show long story with a lot of yeah, one major thread but things tying together and, and really kind of carrying the show past some kind of subpar matches this is the this is throw everything at the fucking wall in one episode and see what happens kind of approach yeah th- this is the point at which you almost thought that WCW was trying to see how if they could get more resets in them Big Show could do face heel turns in the same <laughs> period I think Big Show was leading 5-4 if my uh, memory serves correctly um, this show it does stand out oh yeah and, and, it, and it is and it is chaotic you know the White Hummer comes back everybody the White Hummer from last July you, you could forget that from last summer yeah you, you, so just, just, like, just for the people who haven't seen this show, I want to do a quick. Vacate all the belts. They vacate all nothing, the belts. Nothing you've watched up to now matters. Not one bit. You got Russo coming out with the new blood, and you got you know, him and Jeff Jarrett burying Jim Ross in the WWF and talking about how he's Vincent Man's best kept secret. <laughs> you hear Bischoff come out as a babyface to stick up for the old guys, only to turn heel in the space of like two minutes and then hug Russo. Only because of the backstory of that being that. Bischoff was originally supposed to be the guy defending the old guys, but they had a quick change of heart. Of course they did. They had to change it up because too many people know about that car. Damn internet. And then you got all the old guys coming out there, and this is the uh, Boston Matter Sid No Scissors Live, yeah. Mary Bischoff, with Mark Madden on contrary going, WOW! Like, <laughs> it was just awful. Uh, you get the, the Hogan Kidman angle on the show where Kidman comes out and buries Hogan, and they basically get the shit kicked out of him for about 20 minutes. Just that line in itself the old is slip. quite spectacular, though. And the old slip on the banana peel from Terry as uh, Bischoff Cancer 3. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, B- Bischoff's the one that hits him with a chair, and then, you know, again, they, they, Bischoff, Bischoff somehow manages to turn heel twice in the space of one show. <laughs> Um, the franchise returns Carl cut the fucking music he's back <laughs> uh, we also get the debut of uh, Perfect Sean as Sean Stasiak comes interviewed with Kurt Hennig which prompts the great line from Scott Hudson of that was meat in the WWF <laughs> like it's like the coup of all coups. to which everyone responded with who? <laughs> Mike Awesome, the ECW champion debut. Oh, yeah, on leaves, show. leaves oh, big yeah. sex A laying. Yes, he was. Guy. You get Vampiro turning on Sting <sighs> as well on this show. Brothers in paint. A pain four- in my ass. <laughs> a four man tournament between, I think, Sting, DDP, Luger, and Sid, Sid to try and determine who's going to wrestle Jarrett at Spring Stampede for the recently vacated World Championship. With and interference then, from Bagwell. 
interference from Bagwell there's uh, Jeff Jarrett hits uh, Kimberly with a guitar after DDP wins and then to close the show Russo and Bischoff are just at the top of the stage and Bret Hart just walks out folds his arms and looks at both of them <laughs> and that's it to go off the air like what the fuck have you just done I don't want to be here anymore alive <laughs> <laughs> me yeah. Yeah. I want my release I believe with the word said as soon as the camera's off the air it just calls description of it is the perfect way this is definitely memorable it's like when you bump into a couple of friends who've just had a baby and the baby's really ugly and you just go wow it's it's a baby. It's a striking baby you got there. It's a striking baby you got there. I can see why this is a pick, though, because, again, this this is kind of the... With less success long-term, obviously, but the, kind of the WCW equivalent of the night after WrestleMania 14 we talked about earlier on, where there's so much shit going on, that, and because it feels like it's the dawning of a new era, it intrigues you as a standalone show, even though the sight of Vince Russo crotch-chop and Ric Flair turns my stomach. Uh, I think probably what helps in, in that sense is is the contrast to the the last sort of few weeks that have preceded that as well because you know the week before they'd been coming uh, live from the beach with the walls stood on the uh, oh. on the top of the building and the Terry Funk Dustin Reynolds match and Luger being pole driven in the sand by Sting and they'd have they'd have <laughs> Like that, that might yeah. have some value, yeah. but they but but they they had three or four shows in in a row where they were just waiting for for Bischoff and Russo to start up again with the yeah. company. So they were just the dog in, was around during this period. Oh god, the dog! <laughs> that, that first show back with Russo and Bischoff, that is sort of you know, it's almost like you're getting slapped in the face several times. It just you know, it just sort of shocks you into life. Think, Jesus, look at what's happening now in comparison to last week. I'm, I'm yeah. surprised that wasn't actually a match that Vince Russo came up with. Go bury your opponent's head in the sand. Or it'll be something like you've got to climb a pole to get a sandbox. <laughs> of course. And you put your hand in the sandbox and there's either a belt hidden in the sand or catch it. Don't forget, you've got to climb up the other pole first to get the key. Yeah, it really yeah. is quite simple. Yeah, yeah, but and the dub cup. To, to, to liken this to the post-Austin win Raw is, quite frankly, a slap in the face. <laughs> because that that was stuff that had all been percolating and building towards and then came off and the trigger was pulled all in one night. This is just a clusterfuck. But on the plus side, nasty boy Brian Nobbs and the Harris boys both gave up their titles. <laughs> you, gotta take your, you gotta take your wins where you can with this. Always look on the bright side of life, I guess. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next one here, an interesting one there, not WWF. Joe G on Pro Wrestling Only says, First one to come to mind is the episode of Mid-South Wrestling with the DBRC Murdoch Flair angle. Uh, this is from November 6th, 1985, as I've researched it. Carl, I'm curious to see if this one's crossed your uh, eyes before. It's actually a really, really good episode because this is the one where DBRC, who is a big heel in Mid-South, is uh, basically given a chance for the NWA World Championship against Ric Flair. Um, now, basically, the crux of what happens here is... The match is supposed to happen, but Dick Murdoch comes out and wants the title shot as well. And Dick Murdoch basically beats the shit out of DBRC, busts him open, gives him one of those fucking glorious postings outside the ring you'll ever see to get DBRC bleeding. They cart off DBRC. Later in the show, they got Bill Watts backstage in the, in the, kind of the, the locker room slash trainer's room saying that basically the laceration on his head is so severe that we don't know if he should continue, but he wants to continue. He, we're going to do the match later on. DBRC flair for the NWA title. It's going to happen. But my God, DBS is in bad shape, and you know, we don't advise kids to watch. You know, those who are squeamish at home, we don't want you to really watch this. You know, it's it's going to get messy, but it's DBS and Flair for the NWA title coming up later today. And the match happens. DBS comes out. He's, he's got the bandage around his head. He starts bleeding like almost immediately anyway and Flair just kind of kicks his ass but DBRC has got good fire and the crowd's with him chatting Teddy and stuff like that after he's just been a heel before this 
and uh, and this ends with uh, him going DBSing for the figure four on Flair. Flair kicks him off. He goes over the top rope and crumples onto the concrete floor and loses by countout. Courageously doesn't get pinned. And then just when like that's the story, Dick Murdoch comes back out, picks DiBiase up, and famously, and I'm sure many people have seen this, gives DiBiase the brain buster on the concrete floor, which is just a fucking great way to end the show. And it's just like it's not even going to end the show. I mean that they talk about you know the state of DiBiase afterwards after after this happens, but uh, it's just such a great standalone. I mean, I, I really love one-hour TV shows that are done with a show-long story like this one in particular. I find it so incredibly jarring uh, watching it for the first time. Um obviously because my my experience with DBOC had always been th- through the prism of, of the million dollar man whether it be in ring or as a manager of the possibly the worst stable in wrestling history <laughs> um, and the, the benefactor for the NWO so my my experience of, of DBOC had only ever been as a heel and it was actually when uh, I believe the the episode of TV was actually on YouTube for a short while and it was y- yourself Liam, that had sent me the link and told me I, I had to watch this and to see, you know, Ted, you know, sympathetic Ted DiBiase, you know, fresh face, fresh face, no beard, you know, fire in the belly DiBiase, just, <laughs> you know, didn't think the man was capable of such things, but it is just a, a wonderful piece of business. As they say. And, you know, oh, Jim Ross speaking of on commentary is yeah, incredible yes. during this angle. Good. And just, you know, the, the simplicity of a nice blade job off, off a ring posting oh, but it's such a great posting because he doesn't yeah. block it with his right hand he blocks it with the left the inside one it's just like you, so you barely see it it looks like he just goes face first into the post it's amazing it's the way they play it up it's the drama about the you know, the importance of, uh, and DBS's courage and even doing the match valiance so valiant oh that's brilliant I love it so what's his UWF there were plenty of UWF episodes that uh, oh he's Mid-South Wrestling I should say from like 1984 that I love when we bought the set Kira and a, a long time ago this would be we watched him and the, you know, the Magnum Re- Mr. Wrestling 2 yeah. interplay that would go on week after week I fucking love the, the, the week to week they, they're, they're just such simple beautiful stories and it's like why can't fucking wrestling do this so the, the, the angles like are not even all that complex no. just, I remember when we, we watched one in particular the rock and rolls are in the ring I think it's with the Midnights might be wrong but the rock and rolls are in the ring and the Russians come out and Nikolai Volkov cuts Ricky Morton's hair and I remember both of us just thinking that is the most obvious great angle you could possibly do with these teeny boppers like you cut the hair it's, oh, it's just fucking brilliant the Russians putting the flag on Watts in another episode that's, that's the, fa- yeah, the famous one yeah it, it's uh, just as a, as a I have noticed watching some of the um, some of the one hour TVs that are on on the WWE network, you know, for, for whatever promotion it may be. The way sort of the the simplicity of it all just makes it so much easier to watch and just flow. Look does at it NXT make now? You, yeah, know? yeah. As, as a Monday, does it make you yearn for more more wrestling sort of one hour shows, or, or, or do you think the time is? Or do you think? Or do you think that the way the business has evolved now that that, that window's just sort of gone? Maybe that's uh, that phrase less is more. That's the one, and I think it's interesting because NXT, which is not a great television show week to week, just you know, the nature of the audience and taping you're know, taping so many shows at one time, it it, it does it hampers it somewhat. But I just think even like from a structural standpoint, from a structural yeah. standpoint, watching whether it, it's any kind of one hour show, but I love one hour wrestling. Shows. ECW's Hardcore TV in '96 was so good. And 95, it was so good. It's a one-hour show, but you've got enough time to tell the stories you want to tell, and everything just feels like it means so much more. That's it. It's, it's everything's so much more concise, and the clarity, yeah. and the emphasis, and the angles. Just um, you don't have the time to meander off point. Yeah, no, that's it. And yeah, and bury Byron for the fiftieth time. <laughs> as funny as that is, <laughs> he deserves it. Though. Yeah, he does. 
in terms of this, the, the DiBiase match, I, I, I do believe it's on the uh, Best of Mid-South Blu-ray. Because um, I remember, when, once you started saying it, I remember like seeing it on there. And the one thing which I just found interesting that you mentioned was the, was when you were talking about like after after DiBiase's been posted and he's, he's, he's bladed and um, he's bleeding all over the place, it's, it's how they go about then promoting the main event. And it's like, man, awesome. and it's like, man, they go, God, God they, I wish they had still intelligence like this in wrestling. In wrestling now, they're practically begging you to watch their product. They're literally on their knees undoing your flies. Okay, <laughs> just going, please watch this shitty main event that we've got. We've just thrown out of nowhere. Please make it feel like it's worthwhile. This one is, is fantastic because, and I'm not saying for starters that you do this every week, but when you do it at the right time, they actually turn around and say, you might not want to watch this. And it's almost like that reverse psychology of like you tell them, no, yeah, 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 exactly. And it, oh, yeah, I want to fucking watch it now because I want to see if you're going to deliver. Imagine if they did that with like a proper build, like a, a, a few months build with Brock Lesnar and Kevin Owens or something like that. And then just, uh, just you know, that, that, that feud builds up after one. They turn around and say, well, you might not want to watch the kid, let the kids watch this because Brock and Kevin Owens are just going to fucking murder each other. A couple of things. First of all, the reason they don't tell people you might not want to watch is because everyone turns off by the third hour anyway. Yeah. Mm. And more to the point I don't think they do beg you to watch the show there's not there's not no emphasis nothing <laughs> to give a shit at all no it's oh and this is the main event this week it's yeah. just so whatever yeah. it's it, Dean it Ambrose and Braun Strowman yeah, but, <laughs> but, by the network maybe yeah, but, yeah. yeah occasionally mm. it's, I, just, yeah, I don't think there's any emphasis at all on a week to week basis yeah, yeah. Uh, Costin on the UK fan form with another suggestion here the Saturday night's main event where Hulk Hogan comes to save Randy Savage from a honky tonk man heart foundation beatdown, oh, and the mega yeah. powers are born yeah. uh, an interesting choice because again this kind of ties back to one major part that's memorable for me which is that the, the, you know, the Hogan being dragged out by Liz gets the, the, the cocaine eyes and then hits the ring <laughs> and then the, the finish of the show is pretty good where they, they actually they, you know, they christen themselves the mega powers and they do a fucking classic 80s screaming rampage roided up roided up heroined up promo followed by the fucking pile driver music video at the end which is just yeah. fucking great but it's like the start and finish is just classic 80s wrestling the interim of this show featuring Hulk Hogan versus Seeker for 8 minutes you could you could probably do with that it's, it's you know Bundy beats Orndorff in 8 minutes the Heart Foundation gets 4.5 <laughs> minutes <laughs> against the Young Stallion so uh, as a whole show I, I wouldn't put this up there with, with some of the ones you've mentioned but uh, again it's more about the, the one impactful angle in some cases and, uh, and if it is that good and is that well executed it is going to be your favourite so uh, certainly valid from that perspective Grap and Apple on Pro Wrestling Only says the episode of Nitro where Nash and Hall attacked almost the entire roster and Nash speared Ray into the trailer LP on Pro Wrestling Only says that Nitro the NBA reeking have it backstage at Disney Pete F3 on Pro Wrestling Only says the backstage attack on Nitro that's been mentioned with WCW doing the ballsy move of deliberately sabotaging their own show with shitty makeup matches like the Giant vs. Randy Savage turning into Giant vs. Greg Valentine just to get over how much chaos the NWO had created and trying to make the fallout as realistic as possible instead of contrived booking involving a surprise main event uh, this of course being the July 29th episode of Nitro from 96 and the, this is another one for me that obviously falls into that category of that one impactful moment because although you know, because they stretch this one out the, 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 kind of the, the yeah, theme okay, carries the, over the, you know the theme I mean? does carry no you, you're right I'm probably doing it a bit of a disservice there. the theme does carry over but a, a lot of the other stuff you, you get on the show in, in between like you say Giant and Valentine and and uh, and the, the tag match that Jimmy Hart breaks up to to alert everyone to the yeah. ball. 
that you know, there's, there's a lot of dross in there from a, from a in-ring standpoint no. during the show. Mike Enos versus Jim Duggan to start in particular. A fine example. <laughs> um, but that angle is so glorious. It's so glorious with with Ray being you know lawn darted into the truck and bodies everywhere. Savage hanging out the sunroof of oh, the limousine. Yeah, the only man with the balls to do that. <laughs> Woman shrieking in the background in, in tears, you know, by Arn's side and heels and babyface getting into ambulances together. And, yeah. you know, it, the, 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 the police, the, the police turning up. Yeah, and, the, the ambulance guy. Uh, when Flair and uh, Sting get in the same one, like you're not going to start fighting, are you? To, to, to Flair and Sting, which I love. Yeah, but nice little line because they're uh, the history. And then you, you know, you, you got the people on saying there was four races. There was four. <laughs> Scotty Riggs had to go to hospital because he got hit with a duffel bag. What a pussy. Uh, yeah, even Mongo had value. <laughs> Screaming at the top of his lungs, <laughs> incoherently. Great show. We have talked about this previously, but uh, yeah. it, it merits the. Uh, the knob there for, for a good nomination of a, a favourite show yeah in terms of an angle to get a gimmick yeah. over and like set the scene for its, its context within the company it's, yeah. it is fantastic the, the gravity given to it is great there are times when again the live crowd is boring because they can't see what's yeah. going on so you, yeah. I can, I can yeah. see the flip side on, on both a couple of interesting actually you know what actually before we go to that that just sparked my memory the thing why a show like that stood out to me as well at that time is because when they would fuck with the format of a show because you know, wrestling television was so kind of regimented for the, for the previous kind of six or so years, seeing something where the, the format was completely different. I remember when they did the show and the NWO took over Nitro, thinking, like, I thought that was like an amazing episode. The matches are shit. But the, just the novelty of the NWO has taken over Nitro because all the WCW guys are away in Germany. So they've got like the, kind of a half crew. So the NWO just kind of runs the show. And I just remember that one being like a, a standout episode that I really enjoyed as a kid. But looking back now, probably wouldn't hold up too well. Harmonic Generator on the UK fan forum says, I love 2002 Smackdown. And the first episode that first comes to mind for me is July 25th, 2002. It's around this time that Smackdown was really starting to get out of Raw's shadow. But it's best remembered for being the debut of Rey Mysterio. I've been watching his vignettes and reading about him on the Ross Report, but I'd never seen him before. That debut delivered from the moment he appeared jumping out of the Smackdown stage. Eye-catching red outfit. Loads of runners and flipping moves. The 619, it was a great showcase debut, and Charlie did a great job of making him really look like a star. But better than the match was his reappearance during the main event. An excellent cage match with Edge against Chris Jericho. Ray climbs to the top of the cage with more speed than I'd ever seen anyone do it before and effortlessly flies off the top onto the Un-Americans. It was amazing to watch the sort of move highlight reels were made for. The episode also had Brock Lesnar being a beast with Mark Henry and Hulk Hogan and planting some seeds of his eventual feud with Kurt Angle. Had some very early John Cena in his initial run as well as Deacon Batista had The Rock and Hulk Hogan teaming up and it had the theme running through the show that at any moment any of its stars could be being tempted away from Smackdown and defected to Eric Bischoff and Raw it ended on a cliffhanger as part of a little run of shows where new stars would turn up unexpectedly each week having changed sides uh, which made for great television and fresh matches of course as being Bischoff in the limousine driving away as uh, the show ends pretty jam-packed episode it was and it was sort of the um, the heady days for for Smackdown we, was, you know, we talked before about the you know, the summer and the autumn I suppose of the Smackdown 6 and the start of that period where you watched both shows and it was a case of Smackdown is very much the workers show 
this is the period where SmackDown's pretty much kicking Raw's ass quality-wise, but actually ties into his other nomination here uh, for Raw. Obviously, you mentioned there um, some SmackDown guys end up going to Raw. Uh, he says, I always think of Raw Roulette as well from October 7th, 2002. At the time, it felt really novel and original and unpredictable and mostly fun. It probably doesn't hold up as well now, uh, but I looked at the time. Regal's facial expressions when he had to dress up as a showgirl against Goldust. Triple H versus D'Lo Brown in a blindfold match. Trish and Stacey tearing each other's clothes off, which is fine to still like in a post- Divas Revolution World because the post-match furthered Trish's feud with Victoria. Lawler versus Stephen Richards being an excuse for the Godfather to turn up. It was a mad two hours. But the main event was the highlight, the show-long build to the TLC match, back when there had been so few TLC matches they could still have numbers after them. And while it couldn't match the ENC Dudley's Hardy's efforts, you got Jeff teaming with Van Damme, Christian teaming with Jericho, Bubba and Spike Dudley, and Kane fighting through it all with the disadvantage of his partner being taken out beforehand, which added a different dimension to the TLCs than we'd seen before. There were some awesome stunts in the match, it was loads of fun, felt like a big deal, and I remember it more clearly than most of the TLC matches from the pay-per-views of that name, that's for sure. Uh, let's just forget the introduction of uh, Miss Katie Vick afterwards, he says, which uh, I-, I like this episode of Raw a lot, actually, too, and I think it does hold up pretty well. This is the first TLC match to ever be on, on Raw. They'd done one on SmackDown previously, but uh, very memorable with the, uh, the Raw roulette. There, there is a wacky element to it, and... and- you know, Regal's ham acting is always always a sight to behold. Oh yeah, especially with the nooks um, in his bust, which is how he gets the win. Yeah, but I, maybe I'm being a bit harsh, and since I have a hard time looking past that that general period of, of Raw, because I I was not a fan of, of 2002 Raw, and I don't particularly remember that that show was too fondly either. Uh, I mean, there's bits bits I remember from obviously. You know, Triple H actually doesn't he not just take the blindfold off and pedigree dealer and then puts it back on and yeah, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I suppose there is a sort of a yeah, I suppose there there is a novelty element to it, but but it's it's not one that uh, I must have ever ever sprung to mind. Like like I say, maybe I'm being a bit harsh because I I sort of lump it in with the rest of that period of Raw, but it, it's it's not one that I've I've ever thought of particularly fondly. But and I think one of the reasons why you mentioned that is because no matter how good Raw seemed to be, it always seemed like right when it was looking good they'd find a way to fuck it somehow and this is a perfect example of that after this TLC match which is a great effort and Kane wins by himself and then Triple H comes out and says 10 years ago you killed Katie Vick right at the end Kane you're a murderer fade to black it's like just when you start to fucking enjoy something they whip their dick out and slap you in the face again it's like ah. <coughs> Sir Steve Redgrave on the UK fan forum perhaps the real man uh, says always like to go back and watch the episode which concludes with ECW joining the invasion in 2001 it played out like an episode long story and the twist at the end was great uh, T Juicy on the wrestling forum says I actually like the episode of Raw where ECW and WCW got together for the alliance uh, which is uh, July 9th 2001 Patrick Alexander on the UK fan forum says I still have a sp- soft spot for ECW joining WCW in the invasion only for the line of the invasion just got taken to the extreme uh, Lockjaw on TV PWW says one that came to mind was the episode where ECW joined the invasion angle and the alliance was formed. I just remember that the one episode took you for a ride with ECW showing up, him giving a sick promo, WWF and WCW being all, oh damn we have to join together to fight these guys now, only for WCW to go, ha ha, we were actually together the whole time at the end of the show. So is this the one where it's Jericho and Kane versus Lance Storm and Mike Mike Awesome? Awesome. Yeah. Van Damme, uh, Dreamer hit the ring. The, the job squad comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, and they all do that great turnaround yeah. in the ring. 
Feel this yeah, moment. Back. Yeah. Dreamer was still trying to turn at that point, right? He's orbiting, I believe. Yeah. The others were turning. Yeah, he was the orbiting. Kind of the, the backup heavy, heavy vehicle reversing was uh, blaring out. <laughs> Emphasis um, on heavy. Yeah. I'd only just kind of started watching ECW. I was I kind of like catching up <laughs> way after it's been. That's way after it's closed down. Six months after its <laughs> yeah. demise. Way after it closed down. Going, no, oh, maybe we should check ECW and buy their merchandise. Um, but um, yeah, I just remember like being one hype for Van Damme. Uh, being in the company and then just seeing that moment and you see by by this point with ECW entering I still firmly believed that everything was going to be awesome that was the thing that, this that, is I, kind I, of the I, make I, good wasn't it after yeah. they, after they after, uh, I didn't have any three, bad feelings two or three really shaky weeks of like this doesn't look like it's going to be up to much yeah. lads this was yeah. the okay we need to salvage this thing this was the week after uh, mm. Bagwell and Booker T really fucking yeah. rocked the house at, uh, <laughs> at Tacoma Washington yeah. bigger than the moon landing Lee. bigger than the moon landing and uh, yeah so I don't know this this again the one thing that was not mentioned there is Stephanie McMahon is the new owner of ECW at the end of the show uh, I was, I was going to say I I liked the show up to a point and, and, and that bit where where they all turn around and, and you see that initial formation and Heyman, Heyman does that promo are, are fantastic thing, things to watch um, but yeah, the way it ends just leaves a sour taste in the mouth for me I, I, I do love the part where when they're going to do the 10 versus 10 match yeah. at the end of the show and Lillian Garcia is trying to announce the names and just fucks it up completely including I believe Chuck O'Hara <laughs> it was a make good and it was good and enjoyable especially with the Heyman involvement yeah but then again as you say the, the sour taste of Steph's pussy all over the place <laughs> was, was just toxic this this felt like for one hour and 55 minutes my god this invasion finally feels a bit authentic yeah right at the end it takes the authenticity away and it was a little bit sour after that yeah. for me but and let's be honest I could never vote for a show that's got Tommy Dreamer on it the debut no less of Tommy Dreamer oh. on WWF oh. Moving along, kicking it with a click on the UK fan form says, The March 17th Raw uh, does it for me. All the matches serve a purpose to further build the WrestleMania, which is that following Sunday. There's a surprisingly watchable minis match that ends with Mascarita Sagrada Jr. performing an insane dive off the stage onto Mini Vader, who's going so fast I think he might have gone back in time. Uh, then there's the cage match main event with Bret Hart versus everyone's favourite guilty pleasure, Psycho Sid. The dynamic of Austin and Taker helping their respective WrestleMania opponents is fantastic, and I'm surprised they haven't tried it since. Then to top it off, there's Bret Hart trying to get all seven of George Carlin's words you can't say on TV into one promo. Sid coming back out for another brawl, declaring, I don't know shit cry, baby. <laughs> Vince almost losing it on commentary, and Shawn Michaels strolling out like a cocky, pill-fueled mess. Just brilliant TV. A special mention has to go to Ahmed Johnson's sensational spandex outfit on this show. It has to be seen to be believed. He looks like a 300-pound Mr. Motivator. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, a, a great nomination in the sense of, again, the go-home show for WrestleMania, the WF title's on the line, Brett versus Sid, and Stone Cold's trying to help Brett win, because obviously, therefore, he will get the, the title match at WrestleMania. Taker's trying to do the same, so it's just a, a great dynamic. It's, it's craziness. Brett refuses to leave the ring as the cage is being taken down. There's brawling going on while the, the cage is being taken down. He's swearing all over the place. Vince gets shoved. It's just a lot of fun. Michaels wanders out with a chair for some reason. Well, you know, he, yeah, he couldn't do much. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> that was his knee, obviously. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, it's it's that dynamic that's really enjoyable. That sense of Undertaker trying to help Sid and and Austin trying to help Brett and Brett finally snapping. And it's 
it's during that that period, isn't it, where you see them sort of dipping their toe in the war in the wars with what would eventually become sort of the attitude era, without completely committing to it like they like they would a year later. And even like I said, it, it's the stuff that comes after the match as well. It's, it's a, a weird, a weird but interesting visual to me. That sense of the ropes and everything, the cage being taken, yeah. and Brett just ranting like uh, you know the old "I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore" style rant, which you know, and, and Vin, Vince in, in a physical altercation, which was so so rare to see back then. Seeing him shoved down is is very jarring. Um, and, and Austin's Austin's great afters as well. <laughs> Cry, I tried to help you, and you still lost. Uh, Prince Paul on the F4W board with another one here. The 1993 Raw with a one-two-three kid upsets Razor Ramon, and uh. Marty Jannetty comes back and wins the Intercontinental title from Shawn Michaels. First time I remember watching a whole show all over again. Uh, a Mad Dog on Pro Wrestling only says the same show. Um, still one of the best episodes of Raw ever. He knows against March 17th, 1993. One hour show, and again, they, it's just, it's, the, the, the jobber finally beats a star, which was a, such a, a cool thing, like, after, after all the years of fucking jobber squash matches, and it's like a moonsault out of nowhere, that the place goes crazy for the kid. Janetti returns at the start of the show, wins the Intercontinental title at the end with Mr. Perfect's help against Shawn Michaels in another fucking belter of a match. It's a one hour show, so the guts of this are just tremendous. And this is one of the, one of the standout episodes of Raw in the first few years. Yeah, the kid thing was, really, I mean, as you say, it's so rare. Or like unexpected to see a jobber like beat a legit star, and it's like, yeah, the pops was fantastic. Uh, I'm not endorsing Marty beating Sean. I know you're not, but I mean the match was fucking amazing. <laughs> well, of course though. it was. <laughs> and um, actually, I think at that point I was still I, I didn't like Sean because he, he threw Marty through the the. Because uh, he broke up the Rockers. Yeah, he broke. I love the Rockers. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I probably watched. I was probably quite happy actually. <laughs> <laughs> As, as WF TV was kind of that you got a sour puss on you right now G because Razor lost get over it it's been fucking 23 what years a load of shit <laughs> losing to Jarrett in 95 was worse in my opinion yeah Far worse. Far worse. It's all bad. <laughs> what a load of shit. This was great. The kid was awesome as, as a, yeah, a plucky underdog baby face. Yeah, and, and they played it up in, in the you know the, the previous two weeks when he lost to Doink. And I think it might have been Mr. Mr. Hughes. Hughes yeah. It was. But this was, I mean, it was, it was the, the mechanism to turn Razor baby face, which, yeah, they, they believed he had far more value as a baby face at the time. And this was their kind of step one of, of moving him in that direction. So, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought in terms of like. I mean, Jeanette, he lost the belt in short order, so long term, it really didn't mean that much. But it's a standalone episode, certainly one to should be on this list. Yeah, and you always had that that interesting crowd at um, at the Manhattan Center. Yeah, you know, which was you know a cool visual in in comparison to the, the episodes of Superstars or Wrestling Challenge. Yeah, with people bored out of their fucking skull watching you know Damian Demento squash matches. Strummer on Pro Wrestling only says the June twelfth, nineteen ninety seven episode of ECW Hardcore TV. They show Tommy Dreamer finally beating Raven and Jerry Lawler's debut in ECW. Yeah. Watched it on tape that whole summer and had it on tape till about the middle of the last decade. The pinnacle of ECW TV, in my opinion. Uh, Peach Chaos on Pro Wrestling only says another great thing about this show is how the matches flow right into one another like songs on a Grateful Dead set. ECW did that a lot, but this episode is probably the best example. The whole episode is one big run-on sentence that somehow culminates in Taz winning the TV title. Uh, Sean Reedy on the FOW board says the same show. Uh, obviously, this has got the, the, the final, for now, Dreamer-Raven match, which leads to the, uh, the, the, the Lawler debut, which is just great. Van Damme and Sabu coming out yeah. and just destroying the entire ECW yeah. roster and the show goes on to show the Sabu-Taz match because this is all from Wrestlepalooza 97 yeah. which then ties into the Shane Douglas-Taz match where Taz wins the TV belt in like three minutes off Shane Douglas 
Yeah, yeah, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> love Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Just, just when I think I couldn't love him anymore after the Corpman deal. Yeah. There's nothing in it but shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this, this is a great angle. Just, I mean, like, you know, they, so they do the inevitable of this, you know, Ravens going. So they, they, decide, you know, put Tommy Dreamer over while he's. But like, I just love on the, the sign up. in the front row that says "This doesn't count." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you know, he finally gets his win. He gets the DDT on Raven and so on, and then just like. It, it's that great like kind of um, rug getting pulled out from underneath him just like I think it's not like the lights go out isn't it oh yeah lights go out Lawless standing in the ring and he's just absolutely random raving as you said it's just this, this great moment I remember just watching this and just like Rob Van Damme and Sabu they they just slay everybody yeah not like one or two people it's the whole locker the entire, room pretty much but yeah the whole locker room comes out and everyone's trying to get in the ring like I think like even Paul Heyman tries to get in as well <laughs> and they're just laying everyone out doing drop kicks or chairs some of the roughest fucking drop kicks you'll ever see Van Damme do like he's, he doesn't give a flying fuck if these connected yeah but one of these people was Hack Myers so who really cares <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, and just this great moment where they just absolutely wipe the floor of everyone they look absolutely fucking awesome Lawler just keeps running his mouth the crowd's getting hot and hotter they want this guy to fucking die and then they fucking twig what's going to happen Taz, Taz and they out. start fucking cheering for it like come on we want Taz out and as soon as Taz there it's a great thing with the Sabu and Rob Van Dam Bale and Jerry Law's like who the fuck's this asshole and just Alfonso just goes up and goes get out <laughs> you don't want this guy anywhere near you just yeah. get the fuck out the unarmed and, Taz yeah. bats down yeah. the three guys who've been shelling the entire roster all Taz does is get in the ring just folds it crosses his arms and that's it he doesn't do it his- but also yeah again and, and this episode ends up with Taz beating Shane Douglas the television champion in three minutes Taz just looks fucking great on this show <laughs> mm-hmm. so uh, yeah g- great stuff here I really like sort of the um, complete change of direction after because you got the, the dream of Raven deal which is, you know, it's meant so much to the company, um, even though it's Tommy Dreamer. Um, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so it's going to end finally, and, like, you know, it's probably to those fans, like, this, you know, maybe this company's gonna, not going to be the same again, and straight away they change, it was a completely different direction. It feels like the third Steamboat Flare match when they did... When they, when they, when oh, Funk, yeah, yeah, and then Funk comes out. Yeah, then. it's like total, it's kind of same vein to that. Yeah, really, really like is. that. That's, so kind of, that's kind of a Paul Heyman textbook thing, is it? Rather than just let things settle and, like, and, and risk people wondering, well, what is next? Yeah. You immediately give them the big thing next mm. and to look forward to. So that's a great example. PSF on the UK fan run with another show says the Raw where Mike Awesome wins the hardcore title is the first that springs to mind for me. This is when the invasion looked like it was going to be fucking mental and anything could happen. This is the, this is the episode where um, it's NSG, which is the, the cool novelty of Awesome yeah, showing okay. up. So again, the Awesome thing is pretty cool. Booker T at the end, Axe kicks Vince McMahon and... and, and that's pretty much all that happens on the show. Now, other than Edge cuts a promo on Billy Gunn, which is quite funny. It's the day after King of the Ring. And, and they hint at, at this is the first reference to a mole, if I'm not mistaken, in the locker room. Yeah, they, 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 they tease that Benoit or Jericho, the King of the Ring the night before, may be, uh, may be switching to WCW. Other than that, the only other thing of note to me is uh, Angle and Austin start their backstage into play on this show. Oh, okay. So uh, that's quite funny. Ambulance Chase on the UK fan form says, My memory is dreadful. Good start. <laughs> I love 98. Basically, Austin was running around like a mentalist doing folk over. Uh, there was one in particular in the build up to the Rumble 98 where he was public enemy number one and he was picking people off with his stunners, then mocked them. Did Jarrett strut and shadow box like Mark Mero? Chaotic madness. Oh, that. that- his take of the Fargo strut is wonderful. <laughs> Even JR on commentary, it's it's funny because you, you obviously you see Cornette, Carluzzo, and and the other NWA no mark whose name I've forgotten. Howard Brody. Thank you. Yeah. You just see them bail out the ring, and you you see the sort of the, in the distance of some of the crowd action, and it just sort of 
you know, works its way through the crowd attraction as, as more and more people spot us, and you just get JR on commentary. Uh, look, oh, he's back. Look out, champ. <laughs> 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 you know the new it, NWA champion yeah. they're trying to get this NWA angle over and immediately Austin just fucking yeah. stuns it and puts it in its place and it's just you know the sarcastic tone of JR as he <laughs> says it <laughs> just, just as he hits the stunner does the deliberately worst Fargo trick you've ever seen and just flips him off yeah. and walks out yeah, this is this is in terms of quality of show. There's not really much to, to, to kind of hang your hat on here. But again, it's just the Austin stuff, and Austin comes out every time from different parts of the building. They get louder and yeah. louder, and that's the cool part of the show. Yeah. So Luke Moore on the Facebook page says, "I probably have to pick an episode from Lucha Underground's first season. I'm torn between Grave Consequences, featuring the best casket match ever committed to celluloid, which is uh, Phoenix and Mil Muertes, uh, or Aztec Warfare, a rumble match including pins and submissions that crown Prince Puma as the first Lucha Underground champion. An awesome show." Uh, that's the second nomination here but uh, Lucha Underground I'm kind of I, I like that this got brought up I actually kind of prefer from a storytelling perspective the second one with uh, Matanza the debut of Matanza Cuerto but uh, the match itself was better on the first one the, the Prince Puma Johnny Mundo where they pretty much go back to back it's a very good match I, I like the Aztec Warfare concept and I know that you're a Lucha Underground fan as well Kieran yeah um, it's just fucking insane but it's it, it is what it is so yeah. I, I love the, the self-contained environment of the shows it's you know every company should create like their own world. Doesn't matter if they seriously take yourselves, and they do it to the extreme. But it's their world, so that's great. But it's, I think maybe maybe it's the thing because of the, like the Mexican feel to it. It's like you know, a, it, like the Japanese films. You get like you kind of, something about you can suspend your disbelief, and the, the, a Japanese film is like more believable because it's Japanese kind of thing. Mm. But the cr- crazy wackiness of Lucha Underground kind of works because it's, it has the like the. Mexican Hispanic setting, even though it's LA or whatever. Yeah. Um, Aztec warfare matches are just fucking insane. Yeah. It's like, I mean, to the extent where there's too much going on, like I think it was the second one when it's like one point you see Jack Evans just falling down the stairs, <laughs> like <laughs> in the background, and it's yeah. like you don't ever see what happens. No. And the commentators never mention it, but you just saw Jack Evans fall down the stairs. It's yeah. like, well. Nice one, Jack. <laughs> Thanks for playing, yeah. I guess. Um, Luke Moore also has another one. The episode of SmackDown with the Angle Lesnar Iron Man match, September 18th, 2003. Uh, for the Undisputed Championship, it was something special. I can't even remember the rest of the episode, uh, but this was the time when the blue brand was at its peak, and that one single match is just so damn good it has to be up there. Tony Garvey on the F4W board says SmackDown with Brock and Angle in the Iron Man. Great extended wrestling match at an era when SmackDown was basically the A show. Uh, other matches on this uh, show actually were Rey Mysterio and Chris Benoit against Rhino and Tajiri and uh, Los Guerreros beating World's Greatest Tag Team for the uh, the tag team titles so this was a good show and uh, obviously the Iron Man matches on television are kind of a bit of a mixed bag for me in the sense that I don't really like them I don't like Iron Man matches in general to be quite honest I think they actually impede a match more than help it although there have been some good ones don't get me wrong but and this is actually one of the one of the better ones I yeah. think but having said that as a TV show this works quite well if you love the match then obviously you can love the show because so, the show is pretty much built around this match yeah. And I must admit, I I do fall into that category. I'm a lot like yourself, Liam, in the, in the sense that I I always have an, and there's always an element of reservation with me when it comes to the Iron Man match um, because it's that sense of, of telegraphing the fact that a, a match is going to go 60 minutes. And despite what the company says, as I've point as I've mentioned before, and I know others have, I don't look at Sean and Brett with any fondness. It bores me to tears. So so that that is always. Yeah, with with that being my yeah my, 
my first exposure to an hour-long match as, as a kid, it sort of builds up a sort of a, a defensive posture in a sense when it comes to when it comes to these matches. I love Kurt, I, I love Brock, and, and the two of them wrestling for an hour is is just great. The, the only criticism I ever had of it at the at the time was that I thought it, it could have gone, it could have been put on a pay-per-view, but you know. That's a, that's a slight nitpick on in what is a, a wonderful match on a, on a pretty damn good show. It's they're, they're a marketing device. As a marketing device, they can be great because you guarantee, like, like the Sean Brett theory, it's like guaranteed to see an hour of action between these two awesome guys. But in terms of psychology as a match, it's completely it's so hard to keep a, a crowd interested in because it's a clock. So okay, I'm not going to get too excited until the last two Five minutes. minutes yeah. yeah, but as you say, an hour of Brock and it's never a bad thing it's only going to be so bad I just love the stuff that they would do like Taz's keys to victory which which needs to make a comeback where they kind of break down the match in a bit more of a strategic form uh, conversely to the Iron Man match Crap Game 13 on the FOW board says the episode of Worldwide that only featured Ric Flair versus Barry Windham in one of their best matches ever uh, Lou Pickney on the FOW board says this gets my vote as well only saw it years after the fact but it encapsulates the very best of what happens when you treat pro wrestling as a legitimate sport with two top level competitors in the ring battling for a major championship the layout this was like they said very uh, very simple they said they had other matches on the show they start with Flair and Widom and it goes the whole hour I think this is on Flair's first DVD which is the first time I ever saw it but uh, absolutely cracking match Wyndham is just so fucking I mean this is the match when after years of hearing how great Barry Wyndham was and never really seeing great Barry Wyndham it was only in 2003 when this DVD was released when I really kind of like got super on the Barry Windham bandwagon and like wanted to see more stuff from this period of time yeah because the, the first time I, I saw Wyndham was unfortunately in the days of uh, the stalker Barry Wyndham. Yeah. <laughs> then, then followed up by you know his tag team with Kurt. Though yeah. as much as much the, as the I days do, of fat bars. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as as much as I do love rap is crap, and, and the West Texas Rednecks were were a real hoot. Um, Barry Wyndham in the ring at that time, not so much. Like like yourself, you know, I'd, I'd heard other people say you know, Wyndham was great, and and you you'd sort of hear the, the talking heads on on. DVDs because God knows how many times Flair mentioned how good Wyndham was and, and Arn being the same and, and you almost sort of thought what is what is it I you know what is it I've missed then what is it I've not seen yeah and then then you get a match like that and uh, you know, and, and several others that he did with Flair as they sort of wrestled all over the country but uh, but that one in particular and that's you know sort of the counterbalance to the Iron Man match a match that you don't know is going to go long so like you say the audience isn't predisposed, predisposed or inhibited by, by the clock they're able to keep that drama because because they don't know when it's going to end Brock Kurt I think is probably the, the best Iron Man match I, I can think of anyway that I enjoyed the most but I agree with you I think like the concept uh, doesn't kind of work well it's better when it's an hour like and like they don't know it's going to be an hour when something magical happens like with Sean with Cena on Raw <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah that's exactly what I was going to mention yeah think things like Shawn Michaels and Cena when they're just out of nowhere and also at that time when Cena's getting a lot of shit for can't fucking wrestle or whatever and it's just like he, he just fucking goes the distance to Shawn Michaels a legit hour I think it was in the UK wasn't yeah. it those, those matches where they, they still they need to do that every now and again I can't remember the last like hour long match they've done God, yeah so, some, something where you know you get two fucking good workers you know someone along the lines of I'm going to mention them again Kevin Owens and like Sami Zayn something like that you know the two guys who you know yeah. are going to put on a good match they've only got three hours to fill though so <laughs> yeah I know yeah. Heyman from TPWW says the last episode of Raw before SummerSlam 1998 SummerSlam 98 was one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time in my opinion uh, That's uh, the highway to hell hype that year was off the charts and each and every one of those feuds was captivating everything from the nation punking out China 
which is actually The Rock punking oh, out yeah. China oh, in glorious yeah. fashion, to Kane being officially in cahoots with The Undertaker, to Shamrock and Owen Hart's borderline gay promos, the Raw <laughs> before SummerSlam 98 really did a tremendous job in hyping what was already shaping up to be a phenomenal pay-per-view. That was just in general a, a great run of, of several weeks of television. As listeners will know, with our with our timeline series, we're we're just uh, we're just approaching this um, this point in time now. And I've actually I, I tend to watch a, a, a lot of the Raw and Nitro um, before we do those shows, just as a sort of refresher before the podcast. I've actually now gone past the point we're covering on the timeline because I've just got hooked on on this this stretch of TV, the that highway to hell stretch, the, the highway to hell stretch, and I've actually even gone beyond that at this point. I've done, I think I was watching Breakdown before I left the house this evening, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that's, that's that's a great stretch, and I I love that visual as well of the um, of the ramp with Being the flames, flames coming the up, end. and it's it's all just great. And uh, unfortunately, though, my 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 boy Mick does take one hell of a shit kicking during this period which yeah. you know who else takes a shit kicking on this show Bradshaw the final to the brawl for all oh yeah. god yes I can't wait to talk about that on the next episode of the time I can <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fun but uh, again though they didn't even put it on SummerSlam that weekend they fucking did it on Raw for free oh well um, Mark Merrow versus Kurgan on this show was quite shit as was Southern Justice New Age Outlaws uh, they did do a Kane Mankind Hell in a Cell match on this show again talking about Foe taking a shit kicking during this period um, Austin coming out from under the ring to attack Kane cause he says he's going to get one of them before SummerSlam yeah, it's just, I can't wait to cover it in more detail but yeah it's just a, this is a fantastic episode of a uh, a great stretch of television people tend to think that Russo's best work was Survivor Series 98 that, that show which I kind of disagree with personally I think at this stretch if you're going to give Russo credit I don't even know if it is Russo that's in charge of this ah. you don't want to give him credit oh, for it yeah he'll claim it but he'll claim it but if, if, if to me if you're going to claim anything this would be what you claim I think the build up to Highway to Hell was fucking outstanding and I know I'm not alone in that I, I, no I'm not accepting that whatsoever it's not Vinnie Roo this is all Vince <laughs> Vinnie Roo's future track record makes him having been the main instigator behind this absolutely impossible to believe <laughs> no, so no fuck you Vinnie Roo Alrighty, uh, Smelly Meatball on TPWW says for the WWF it's a toss up between Foley winning the title and Chris Jericho's debut both were amazing moments but if I remember correctly I didn't see the part of WCW at Nitro where Bischoff gave Ray the results since I was watching Raw the whole time which made Foley's win even more special in the end and Vince Bearhigh on the f 4 message board Big Vinny B says Mankind bullying Shane McMahon into granting him a title match against The Rock then beating Rock with the help of Austin and DX to win his first world title is his nomination uh, Gabrielle was right dreams do come true <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think uh, w- one of the points where Skiavone is uh, <laughs> is giving away the results is during a vicious and delicious tag match if I'm not mistaken Indeed. so uh, you know if that in itself wasn't going to drive away the audience <laughs> this is one that, that came to mind and it's out of complete and utter unabashed unashamed bias on my part <laughs> to, to see to see Foley get the Duke, even, even if it was just for for three weeks, was was wonderful to see, and and in front of a, a red hot crowd, oh, and one of and oh, one man. of the loudest pops I think that Steve Austin ever got. Because if I'm, if memory serves me correctly, which again is difficult at my age, as Kieran likes to point out, um, Austin's not on the show 
at all up, up until then, is he? He hasn't been on the show for a couple of weeks after uh, the final pay-per-view of the year where they did the Buried Alive with Undertaker. It's actually been off TV. So that they had teased earlier in the show, Shawn Michaels, and there's actually a lot good that goes on on this show, as we'll come mm. to shortly, but Shawn Michaels says at the start of the show that he's, gonna, he's, bringing, he's got a surprise for Vincent Mann that's going to drive him stone cold crazy. And then Shawn says he's going to go and get the surprise, and then Shawn ends up getting beaten up. So the kind of illusion is that you're not going to get Austin, and then the, the glass breaks and everyone shits themselves, and the title changes, and oh, it's just so much great stuff comes together on the show. Actually, I'll go through it now before we, we all talk about it because Sean is back with DX at the start of the show after the corporations fired him um, the previous week, and obviously he'd been an arsehole to DX in the weeks prior as, as part of the corporation. So he's, he, he leaves the corporation, and he's suddenly back with DX, and it's one of those kind of things that you kind of nah, you're not you're not real that high on, and then they do the thing where. Sean's with DX and you know, he goes up to his car to pick up the Stone Cold Surprise and, uh, and as, as, as DX closes the door and they walk away and says uh, what goes around comes around or something to that effect right and they cut to the outside when Sean can't get in his car he tries to get back in the building but the door's locked and Sean turns around and the corporation beats the fuck out and puts his head through a window and it's like it's just the, the weird kind that of that was for Marty <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, glorious. But yeah, but this is like a nice little thing that ties it all together. It's like okay, so they didn't forget that, and it's kind of a little bit of a weird DX heelish, bit of a dick move from DX. But there's a lot of stuff on this show that's very memorable. The uh, Sammy gets introduced with China on this show to uh, fondle Mark Henry, which pays off later down the we'll line. We'll give Russo credit for that one. Yeah, and there's another one to give him credit for here too. Because this is the same show when Terry Runnels falls off the apron as a miscarriage. Oh, yeah, so. Uh, the Road Dog Al Snow hardcore talk match that I remember really in liking the at the time where they're fighting in the snow there's a pile driver through some like, wooden pallets at the end again it's just, it's just so novel like, this is the kind of wrestling that you know you didn't see all that often at the time um, and there's a great match with Kane versus the Stooges when Patson tries to get out of fighting Kane by offering him a cigarette <laughs> and I think a condom as well actually <laughs> was one of the things I thought about to be honest because just that fucking pop for Austin and yeah. obviously the emotion of the, the Foley victory is just like hey can you not forget that but just as a final point on that uh, that January Raw you know really <laughs> we, we were all winners we were all winners you know G, G got to see Rock you know things didn't work out well for him on the night as a whole but you got to see him <laughs> Kieran got his uh HBK fix. Things didn't work out in the night there either <laughs> things didn't work out so great for him and uh, got to see I, him. I got Austin and Foley so uh, there you go wonderful uh, world more one sided than he's letting on Vince Vince at the end oh, Vince <laughs> is strong Vince is awesome he just looks at God and screams <laughs> and then when Bernie thanks his Not kids like, that makes me one of you <laughs> anyone but him <laughs> not mankind <laughs> not mankind yeah, baby, on Wrestling Forms was the Saturday Night's main event episode when Macho Man turned on Hulk Hogan in uh, 1989 was pretty damn good. Uh, this is uh, February 3rd, I think, 1989. Um, the show long... Lust Hogan. Lust Hogan, yeah. Th- this is the episode. The show long story here is just great. Uh, they, 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 they start the show with like, the, the, kind of the videos of like, how the Mega Powers formed and the kind of the trials and tribulations of everything that's happened in the last year. And they do, if anybody remembers this, the most ridiculous best friends montage of Hogan and Savage, which is basically akin <laughs> to them skipping around in a field on, on swings together. It is absolutely so. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it is absolutely preposterous. It's like, it couldn't be driving at home more than like great, yeah. something is happening. And of course, it ends with the, the, the Twin Towers match. And, uh, and actually it doesn't end with the Twin Towers match there's another match afterwards but the Twin Towers match happens Liz gets hurt Hogan takes her back Savage goes crazy 
you got jealous eyes yeah, attacks him and you, beefcake shows up to make it even better you, you've got to build it up in order to knock it down that's, that's awesome you've got, you got to build it up that, that's a, that whole angle is just like I, I mean I mean, I don't want to turn around and state that that whole that, that moment made the entire feud because they, they were laying groundwork to that feud like a year ages. beforehand for fucking ages but that's just like the culmination of it that's when like it all comes to the head you know where, like Elizabeth gets knocked down Hogan like last Hogan the fucking heel right grabs her it's a fucking heel just watch it it's the heel grabs her takes her to the back like tending to her it's not your wife and uh, but then that doesn't have stopped him before but it's just <laughs> but and then and then Savage Class. and then Savage just fucking just, just being God again just running to the back and just this great intensity is like Elizabeth's trying to like calm him down but Elizabeth's like you can just see like in her face it's like Oh shit! You know, I wish I was in any other room but this one. And just Hogan's fucking face, the savage is just pointing at go, "You got eyes for Elizabeth." You know, and it's just like it's preposterous. It's fucking, it's brilliant. It's, it's like you know, it's like some people's opinions were so fucking skewed. Like Savage was the fucking innocent guy in that party. He really was, and just the whole thing, just great. And then Hogan, like he calms down. Hogan turns around, he attacks him from behind. You get the screams from the people around the camera and so on and it's just oh it's fucking great Pete F3 on Pro Wrestling Only says my pick is Austin challenging Vince and giving him the title shot on Raw from the drama standpoint that made you want to see where this was going next sustaining itself for an entire show it's hard to beat it loses a bit in retrospect because A the idea of Vince wrestling was completely mind blowing at the time but not so much now and B while you knew this wasn't going to climax with a straight up match the ending with Dude Love didn't make a great deal of sense then or now still for an hour and 57 minutes it was brilliantly produced television from the is this really going to happen vibe after Austin issues of the challenge to Vince being egged on by Patterson and Briscoe to Vince finally accepting to Ross flipping his shit and selling the angle terrifically is a disaster in the making to the stalling at the end with Vince's warm-ups Shane trying to stop the match and Vince forcing Austin to tie his hand behind his back a perfect blend of Rousseau and Crash TV with old-school territory bullshit it's hard to imagine a more important episode of Raw either seeing as it broke Nitro's winning streak when just a few months earlier it seemed like such a thing would never happen again it also came at the best possible time for the WWF as Nitro immediately went through its annual four weeks of being moved around and preempted by the NBA playoffs uh, allowing the WWF to build momentum off this show and opposed for a month uh, which we talked about in the timeline of course it, I, I see his point about in retrospect because it's so enjoyable but at the time it was like 20 times more enjoyable when it's like oh my god Vince is going to wrestle this is actually going to happen and now you can kind of look at it in retrospect and like he says with everything that's happened since uh, it kind of loses a little bit of the novelty let's say but in terms of actual great produced television, this is just fucking up there with some of the best I've ever done. It's definitely in the conversation in terms of uh, in terms of top episodes where it's where it's that storyline throughout the course of the night. And, and like you say, maybe it does lose a, a little bit of luster in retrospect. But you know, when you're watching it at the time, as as we did, you know, it's un- unbelievable TV. And like 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 um, the said that you know it's it's pivotal to the company's history so that that almost sort of, rightly or wrongly to me sort of elevates it to uh, to another level you know the the uh, the good guys in Vince's mind finally win around <laughs> <laughs> Paul Reeves on the Facebook page Pablo Daddy Reeves says Reeves. the wrestling episode of Boy Meets World <laughs> it had Vader proving his acting chops <laughs> And Corey worked out that he didn't need to prove himself to Topanga, the kind of narrative payoff that Raw misses these days. <laughs> Who calls their child Topanga? Topanga. Oh, God, I remember that. 
This is yeah. a, I remember Vader on, on Boy Meets World though, yeah. as wacky as yeah. this is. Wasn't man, Mankind on it as well? I think he was on later. On it. Yeah. But I remember Vader v- being v- on there. Vader was on his own in the one episode yeah. because he was someone's dad. Yeah, he was the bully's dad. Yeah, I, I, on, on, on a kind of like a similar note, I don't know if any of you ever remember this. This is going to reveal my sadness with watching TV. Then you remember a sitcom called Nicky at all? Absolutely not. No? no. It was a sitcom called Nikki where it was based around uh, she was basically like a, a ring rat and like her boyfriend was a professional wrestler working for like an indie company and like it had like this stu- this kind of really dirty seedy freaking boss Vince McMahon <laughs> essentially and, and they would basically guess they'd have, they would have Savage on it they would have Kevin Nash they is, all, this, is that they, the show where Nash was a homosexual? Possibly <laughs> possibly I don't think I don't think I'll look it up I don't think they were like they were under their names they were like playing characters themselves but it had like a <clears throat> so it's one, girl. It's one she, of those things where he's called like Devin Gash <laughs> something, <laughs> like something so we've just seen uh, in the interim here a brief clip of Nikki. What are your thoughts very briefly, Kieran and Carl, of uh, this, this I show? I didn't say it was good. Um, yeah, definitely something that was a lot better in my imagination. Mm. Yeah. One, one of those things that I'm convinced was designed just to insult wrestling fans. Literally, yeah. literally one baby step up from Ready to Rumble. I'm, I'm not even sure I got that far. No, that's a lot just, think, just think, folks, that was, that was a TV series that ran for two years. Uh, Mike F on Pro Wrestling only says Memphis it is uh, August 14th 1982 is his pick it's Flair's only appearance on Memphis TV uh, in a great angle with Jerry Lawler I'm not sure if uh, anybody around the table will have seen this one in particular but uh, this is a, this is a good show and I have seen this basically because I was, I was binge watching Lawler so he's the NWA champion at the time coming to Memphis and of course the, the deal is that he's the big shot he's the guy that wrestles all over the world the world champion and he's got to the general kind of like um, what's, the, what's the word malaise I suppose or kind of indifference to the Memphis area and Lawler comes out and obviously Lawler's, Lawler's the man but Lawler just kind of downplays himself like you know Rick if, if he wouldn't mind just give me a chance you know, oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just for me to look good in front of the people in Memphis you know, just give, give me a chance give me a bit of time in the ring we'll wrestle you know no, no harm done we'll just see what happens in the ring you know maybe you can even put the title up you know it's very it's kind of and basically Lawler just bullshits his way into into this match with Flair where as soon as like Flair's like alright let's do it and Lawler's like alright let's go right now and he like dives into the ring and they have this match where you know it's just like you know, very kind of simple basic stuff but it's good and it amps up and it amps up and in the end Lawler's getting the better of Flair and, and it's a count out finish and, and Flair just fucking loses his shit that Lawler's kind of gotten the, uh, the public black eye on him and then at the end of the show you get uh, Ric Flair kind of just going over to Jimmy Hart and screaming at Jimmy Hart that he wants him to do his best to destroy Jerry Lawler and of course that leads to, to more greatness with Jimmy Hart in the future from there but uh, as a standalone episode it's, just, it's the Lawler and Flair show yeah. but man what a show it is it's just, it's just Lawler being great Flair being awesome as the travelling champion and, uh, and yeah again very similar to the one with, uh, with Mid-South we talked about before with uh, DiBiase and Flair it's kind of a similar position actually where again this is what Flair's yeah. used for you, you put over the local angle and, and, and kind of ramp up some heat he's just such a great talker just doing, doing the kind of underplayed you know humble little baby face who's big in his little local area and yeah if you could just give me this one chance for Rick and you know you might as well put the belt on the line just to entertain these fans you know yeah. nothing big's gonna happen obviously and then yeah. he just fucking you know, he ends up schooling Flair it does sound like just the perfect dynamic yeah, yeah it is, it is awesome Stevie G1980 on the UK fan forums is the 6th of July 98 edition of WCW Nitro the cementing of Bill Goldberg as a main eventer uh, yes Hogan and Goldberg should have been on pay-per-view yes they lost a ton of money on this by trying to pop a rating yes this show has some trademark WCW shite such as Scott 
Putski beating Scotty Riggs and Johnny Swinger, Jim Neidhart and Jim Duggan in matches, but this is all about Goldberg running over Scott Hall and Hogan and becoming the man. There was also a lot of fun in this show, Raven and Canyon, Booker and Milenko, and Jericho in his pop taking on a soon-to-be-gone but still awesome Ultimo Dragon. Plus, Alex Wright and Disco Inferno starting the Boogie Nights early and dancing with Magnum Tokyo is always fun. Cue the German techno. Uh, Alex VD on the FOW board also says this same night at the George Dome when Goldberg beats Hogan for the belt. Hot crowd, historic show, and it was my birthday so I got to go to the show, fond memories. My favourite part of the show is after he pins Hogan and the show goes off the air, the NWO runs out to beat up Goldberg. A bunch of his former Atlanta Falcon teammates jump the railing and run off the NWO. This show was the first appearance of Buff Bagwell after he broke his neck for the hometown guy promo, and this was the go-home show for Bash at the Beach, so there's lots of Hogan involvement and DDP Malone stuff throughout the show. It's rare these days to have celebrity involvement that isn't cringeworthy, but the NBA guys really came off as stars. The semi-main was a Wolfpack promo in a match, uh, and the crowd loved Sting, Nash, and Conan. Throughout the show, they showed highlights of Goldberg's 25th, 50th, 75th, and 100 wins uh, as a primer for the main event. Oh, and Public Enemy put a geek through stack tables. So, uh, interesting pick there. Actually, this is going to be the first show we, we touch on in our next episode of the timeline. A good example of to me, people remembering one show-long theme and ignoring the rest, because to me, the rest of the show doesn't really hold up that well. But the Goldberg stuff just holds up so well. I'm not sure whether we disqualify it because he saw it live. Possibly, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you want to be mean. <laughs> but uh, And his favourite moment being a dark match moment that we didn't see on television. I suppose that kind of... Uh, but it, again, this has it's got multiple votes. So uh, And it's sad to think that three years later they'd be dead <laughs> when you watch this show. We were talking about this one before, Carl, about not being sure whether this one really fits in the favourite shows or just... Yeah, it's... It's one of those where you you had to remind me about some of the things that went on in the show, to be honest, because um, was one of the first ones to spring to mind, and I, I sat and I thought, do do I really think of it as great television, or is it just that moment at the end that I'm thinking about? So I I, I kind of sort of put it to one side. And it was only when when you reminded me about the fact of well, they they do treat it as a, a show long theme, like you say, they references. Is um, sort of milestone win threat, including number seventy-five being the the US title win against Raven. Raven. Um, and I think the the fact that it's you know it's held in such a place as well add, adds to the the whole atmosphere. It's, it's in the Georgia Dome. It, it's a massive crowd. Um, and I think it was I think it was Jericho that said it was um, that was probably the the company at its apex. Yeah, and. God, having reached the mountaintop, wouldn't that decline be sharp <laughs> and <laughs> rapid? <laughs> but when you just think about like why this show is great as a show, it's because this was, like you said, the apex, the peak of the Goldberg deal, where Goldberg, who was just fucking on fire at this period of time, and then all of a sudden, with like one week's notice, Goldberg's wrestling for the world title against Hollywood Hogan on free television. Everybody, and it's like, oh my god, this this match was huge again. This this should have this is a Starcade main event. This is this is the biggest match the company had, and we're getting it all of a sudden. And oh my god, are they going to beat Goldberg? Was was my gut instinct at the time? It's like, oh my god, they're going to fuck this up somehow. Uh, no, I must admit this is probably one of the the few instances where, um, obviously, and obviously it was during a stage where we got Nitro on a, on a Friday in this country. But I, I wasn't privy to spoilers or anything like that at at, at that time. Um, it was one of the rare occasions I think where I was optimistic and I I thought Goldberg was going to win. Really? I, imagine that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, valid candidate certainly because in terms of the uh, living in the moment Goldberg momentum, this is pretty. This is, this is as hot as the WCW would get in '98. To be quite honest, 
Uh, Air Raid on the UK fan forum, however, says, I'm going to go the completely different direction to the way that most will go, and say the 4th of January 99 Nitro of Finger Poke of Doom and Butts in the Seats Infamy. <laughs> I recently rewatched this episode for the dozenth time with fellow UK fan former and SCG contributor Jazzy Jeffers, and it's an amazing guilty pleasure to watch, as time and again... I pissed myself laughing at how bad WCB was getting, much as you're already seeing in the timeline. Right from the off, you know you're watching a show presented by incompetent nitwits by the fact you get a Nitro Girls routine, a match, and a lengthy recap clip before you even get to the opening credits. There are nine matches in total, and by the time you get to, the, to match five, you've been treated to cobblers like Hugh Morris vs. Glacier, Booker T vs. Emery Hale, and the new WCB president, Ric Flair, <laughs> announcing the first match was sold out. Nothing approaching a main event, but his own handicap match with has-beens Kurt Hennig and Fat Barry. <laughs> you do get some great comic relief at this juncture, as Goldberg is ludicrously carted off by the old Bill for allegedly sex-pesting Elizabeth, and who could blame him? Big Bald Billy is passed by presidential hopeful Hulk Hogan, who tells someone at the door, your vote will be appreciated. <laughs> I'll gloss over most of the ropey Goldberg arrest storyline, other than to point out I'm gobsmacked the coppers let a camera crew in for the questioning, and I'm guessing Goldie let it all take place without his lawyer present, because he used his one phone call to call the WWF Superstar line. The highlight of the middle of the show is when Kevin Nash comes out to talk to the crowd about the announced main event seemingly being under threat because of the challenger's legal trouble, because this is the exact moment you remember, they drew nearly 40,000 people for a match that ends up not happening. <laughs> Later when Hogan comes out, there's speculation that he was planning on announcing his running mate. I lament that history may have robbed us of Ed Leslie's greatest gimmick, Brutus the Vice President Beefcake. There's all kinds of other horseshit. A Scott Steiner vs Conan TV title rematch that's notable only because the production clods leave Conan's nameplate proclaiming him the TV champ though he lost it to Big Papa Pump the week before. The Wrath vs Bigelow match features the wrestling using a chair, but the bell only rings for a DQ when the ref gets shoved. There's an ad for WCW MasterCards. At least that's the trick they didn't miss. I regret not getting a Nitro Girls credit card, which I could have bought my Nitro Girls poster, calendar, and lunchbox, etc. Well, Jeff suggested that a Luga card would simply decline every time you tried to use it. That's right, a credit card that turns on you. Finally, you get the fame main event that takes place during the overrun, so all the raw viewers still get to see the nonsense put on in lieu of a proper main event. Say what I might about the understanding the logic of building up a unified elite NWO for Goldberg to knock down one by one on pay-per-view, this final segment hammers home two points. Firstly, again, they drew a monstrous crowd that had been promised a big world title match which they didn't deliver on, and secondly, the constant ridicule by Shivani of Raw's pre-taped nature, which amounts to, that's right folks, we're bringing you this contemptible bullshit live. <laughs> Thankfully, the show at least goes off the air with more giggles. A previously mute Eric Bischoff finally finding his voice and going bonkers at the end is an absolute treat for me. I nearly forgave him for making Goldberg look fucking clown shoes. Wrestling is meant to be about variety, and I fucking love that episode of Nitro as a comedic tragedy. It's an A to Z of how to fuck up a wrestling show. From arrest to Zabisco via Brian Adams, credit cards, dumb finishes, Emery Hale, you get the idea. I love it, and I'll probably watch it again tomorrow. <laughs> I think... Loving a show because it's fucking awful. Well, it's certainly memorable television, if, if not good television. Uh, I think Shakespeare probably shed a tear at that tragedy, in truth. But... <laughs> It's, it's convenient that the police station was just over the road from the arena. Yeah, but it did take Bill a long time to get over I the road. I've got an answer for this. Okay. Is this going to be a logic bomb? A logic bomb is, is falling from the sky. I right hear now. it whistling. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. He mentions not having a lawyer. Yes. This is because Goldberg's Jewish. Okay. Therefore, he has inherent lawyering skills. I see. 
Ergo, he was his own lawyer. <laughs> he was his own lawyer and had to f- take care of some legal crossing of T's and dotting of I's before he could get over the street to get back to the show. That may have answered a few questions. Take that, death of WCW. <laughs> Matt Thurlow on the Facebook page says, The Raw before Backlash 2000 when Stone Cold trashed the DX Express. It's the Smackdown, isn't it? I just moved into a new house with three other mates and they'd gone for a pint. I was watching when they came back. Uh, instead of the expected mockery, it was, Oh man, I wanted to see this. And it turns out all four of us have been watching for years and never said a word about it to each other. Great show. Great build with McMahon's all trying to find Austin and one of my happiest memories from wrestling ever. That's... Like they're all embarrassed to, to be wrestling fans, fans and yeah. it comes out they all come out of the closet in one day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they all watched that episode of Nikki, didn't they, G? <laughs> yeah. This is the the Stone Cold DX Express show. This is where Vince sends them out on the uh, the, the, the the hunting trail, right? And then and Shane beats up the cardboard cutout and trips over the beer, beer cans, cans everywhere. <laughs> yeah, Billy Gunn gets I think hung upside down. There's a rattlesnake in one of the rooms as well, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's in the bag, I think, and they flip it over and then they all just scarf oh, out the right, room. That's right. That's right. And then obviously it ends up with with. Steve Austin blowing up a bus by dropping a dropping yeah. a uh, like a concrete block on it or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, there's no logic to that. <laughs> yeah. No Go on, bit, Kieran. There's, there's no. Do your damnedest. G, <laughs> gee, nobody cares. I'd been deprived of Austin for close to six months. X Pac was on the bus, and because he was high, he left the gas on. So when the bollard hit the roof, it caused a spark, and the bus exploded. Left there the gas a, on. There was a petrol leak. Oh, leaking, I you know. see, I see. Well, fucking hell. They, they had one of those dodgy radios fitted like in the Jolly Boys outing. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Campbell on Pro Wrestling Only says the December 19th, 2011 Raw following the TLC pay-per-view, one of the better Raw openings in recent years, with a promo from CM Punk to celebrate his win, then bringing out Zack Ryder and Daniel Bryan, who'd also won titles the night before, and setting up a main event of the three champions against The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, and Alberto Del Rio. It happens to take place in Philly so the crowd was already hot just for Brian Punk and Ryder all being champions and they keep it up for that main event yeah that, that was a great I think I think it was either I think it was either on that show or right after you know well before the war ran on where they did that great photo about about the uh, the great photo of uh, CM Punk Daniel Bryan Zack Ryder Cody Rhodes um, uh, Matt Seidel uh, sorry Evan Bourne Kofi Kingston Beth Phoenix right? all, all, the champ- all the champions right? Just t- and, and nicknaming it the future of the company the new era the new era <laughs> the new era the future of the company how's that going <laughs> um, let's, get, let's get back to the uh, TPWD forms here I really like the episode of Raw which saw Kurt Angle face Shelton Benjamin in an amazing match which also had the ending of Cena beating Y2J in the uh, loser must be fired match only for Kurt uh, to show up and demolish Cena at the end uh, Joker, 2005 2005 is the day after SummerSlam where they'd uh, Kurt Angle had beat the fuck out of Eugene thank god and, uh, and they're rehabbing Kurt here good match with Shelton and uh, Jericho and Cena is a good match too yeah I personally couldn't say it was the favourite, but I can see it's a very good show. Um, it's also got Shawn Michaels burying Hulk Hogan in the uh, the first segment of the show by talking about his cat-like quickness and <laughs> and how he was just so good. And then he just wraps up saying, "Okay, now back to reality." <laughs> I want to talk about my wait, uh, Chris Masters comes out and gets buried as well, which is quite funny. Where yeah, talk about how dumb he is and how you don't even know enough to know that you don't know, you know. <laughs> uh, Rob Rob Conway beats Matt Hardy in the continual burial of Matt Hardy's career after his return. But uh, yeah, interesting show. I, mean, I, I, I couldn't I, compared to some of the other ones we've mentioned. Mm. Those are the standouts for me. But uh, 
Interesting what you mentioned. He also says, I also really like two episodes of Confidential, which qualifies for this. Uh, one which went into the Montreal screw job, and the other which went into Stone Cold Walking Out. I don't have fond memories of the Montreal one, because Montreal one was when the Gerald Briscoe says that was the day that Shawn Michaels became a man. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, and he'd shown him some takedown moves the night before in the hotel room. Yeah. Shawn Michaels reveals that he was on it. The Stone Cold one's a little bit more on the nose for you, Carl, I'm sure, because this was the uh, Jim Ross and Vincent Mann complaining about Steve Austin leaving the company, which, quite an interesting... Uh, it, was very, it was a very fascinating watch. Mm. Don't get me wrong, but... Uh, Ball, he? He, he dropped the ball and yeah home. it's like John Wayne walk away from a big fight says Jim <laughs> Ross it just didn't happen Vito Cruz on TPWW says the March 22nd 2004 episode of Raw which was the 2004 draft lottery was really fun for starters they kept Raw and Smackdown almost entirely separate for two years so it actually felt like a big deal that guys were going to be changing shows Bischoff and Heyman each had six draft picks and made them throughout the show what I liked though is they picked a mix of big names mid-carders and even non-wrestlers so you had no idea what to expect the best moment was of course Triple H going to Smackdown uh, which made this uh, form explode <laughs> when it happened obviously they traded him back right away to Raw the next <laughs> the day later for three people <laughs> but it was still a cool moment Edge also returned as a surprise draft pick Shelton Benjamin went to Raw where it ended up becoming a big deal uh, Rhino got drafted to Raw which was cool because it was uh, his hometown and it looked like he'd be treated as someone important hell Teddy Long got drafted to Smackdown which gave him rise to him being the GM for 300 years oh and the show ended with a massive brawl between both rosters which looked like an episode of Wild and Crazy Kids Gone Horribly Wrong great stuff he says wasn't this the point where that it wasn't really a, a draft. It was actually a lottery. It was, it was a lottery. Yeah, they, yeah. they were picking the balls out because it, it ends with Heyman actually being drafted to, to, roar, to roar. And then we, quits. At which point he quits and walks out, yeah, which leads to Heyman being off TV for a while, which is always sad. In yeah, my book. replaced, as you mentioned, by Teddy Long, which mm. nothing exemplified mm. Smackdown being the B show quite like. Yeah. I um, and, and the fact that Triple H is, is traded back for three people. <laughs> Sucks to be Booker T and the Dudley Boys. Well, he is, you know. Tom Brady, he is, he Peyton is. Manning. He is the game. Russell suppose, Wilson. Suppose, all in one. I suppose with all those steroids, you must have deflated balls, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can appreciate why someone would enjoy the show in the sense of, you know, off offbeat off the wall nature you know, and, you know, anyone's name could be picked out in theory but it's not one that particularly um, strikes me as, as, a, as a notable choice personally um, as soon as you mentioned it the first thing that actually popped into my mind was the bit where I think it's Nidia ends up on Raw yeah. and Heyman just sarcastically says well done I hope you go blind again <laughs> This does tie in, however, to another show that was going to be uh, nominated around this table, I believe. G, you wanted to talk about yeah. a show that you were going to pick up. Is, is this ultimately going to be your favourite wrestling show ever, or is this one that came to mind in terms of a great Raw episode? Uh, both. Um, it was it was the only one that came to mind when you when you oh. told when you told me this about great TV shows because uh, as I already mentioned, I, had a, I actually had a hard time coming up with this because of thinking of a show rather than just a moment that's on the show. I'm, I'm trying to think of the entire show. I'm trying to think at least a percentage of it has to be great. And so for me, only one came immediately to mind and that's the the original WWF draft <clears throat> the reason why this one was just so uh, just stands out to me so much was just because I, I got I got this like love affair with 2002 I mean like 2000s like my favorite year but something about 2002 and, and I know what the bad points are but it's like it's that thing of like numerous numerous yeah but I like don't care it was just so exciting at the time because like the, the rosters were huge and this was the one time where it's like okay 
they're going to do the divide they're going to split it up because they have the people to do it and let's see what's going to happen and this is one where where we actually talk about a story that takes place over the entire show the entire draft is everything it's planted all over the place you do have other like big matches on the show you have Rock and Hogan versus the NWO you have uh, I think it's Jericho Triple H and Stephanie in a triple threat yeah. which ends up with, with Steph getting the boot at the time I, I didn't follow any American football at the time okay so the whole concept of a draft was completely like alien to me and I'm not saying like I'm a massive fan now but I'm a little bit more in the know of it but there was something about the concept of the draft I thought was absolutely fantastic and there were moments of let down in this so I won't admit that this, I think this is the completely the, the, like 100% great show because there were negative points the, the, the one point which really got to me I thought right they're going to pick the rosters so now I'm finally going to get my fucking answer of who's the number one guy is it The Rock or is it Stone Cold Steve Austin right because one of them only one of them can get picked first okay so who's it going to be obviously they go on with the obvious cop out of just like Austin's got a different contract magically so they're going to have to you know they're well, going to have to they're going to it's because he fucking, yeah, it was yeah. because he fucking left the company yeah. after Wrestlemania yeah. for two weeks and they didn't lies. have to back or not all lies <laughs> And, um, yeah, he so, was not a happy bunny at the time, so yeah. he was uh, he, he went on a bit of a vanishing act, yeah. and it was only the week afterwards that the all was made well again. So mm-hmm. for, for, they had their yeah. out, they had their perfect out, yeah. Austin being a, yeah. a sulky boy at the time. It, 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 he was injured. It gave it gave them the perfect opportunity to kind of get that out of the way. So then the obvious first pick is the Rock, which just makes sense. And you have this great back and forth between Vince McMahon and Ric Flair, who are almost like two children fighting over scraps and 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 put, which pretty much basically ended up being a two-hour show of eeny meeny miny mo. it's like it's like the kids picking their teams at school and you're just saying okay who's the popular guy and who's the geeky fat kid with glasses right <laughs> who, who, who's getting picked fucking last do you know who did get picked last sorry do you know who got picked last uh, uh lita no 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 he, she was picked last of, of the of, of the, the 10 of, of everybody of, of everybody of every, the last here, here you go oh, the supplemental does draft. any does anybody know who the final person drafted was in the w roster in 2002 i'll give you a brownie point if you know stevie richards Toby hey. dreamer raven no, he actually made it pretty high in the end. It was Perry Saturn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're Perry. welcome. Oh, you're worth more than that. Um, <laughs> Below crash, uh, yeah. and everything. The setup to it, you know, you have Linda McMahon opening the show, explaining what you're about to see. The war rooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. the war rooms was yeah. a lovely yeah. touch. Yeah, you got yeah, you got those rooms with just everybody's in it, and you have like great moments like when when Vince McMahon announces the Rock's gonna be his first pick, and everyone's just looks shocked, and they all look behind them, and then the camera just zooms in on the Rock, who's just just giving this face of say what. He like kind of, kind of like look on him and just cuts this awesome promo on Vince. He the, gets the crowd chanting, "You, you are, are an, an asshole. asshole." That's great. Which goes on for the entire night. Every time Vince is out, the crowd are chanting that because the, the, you you do what the Rock says. And then extra bonus points. Arn Anderson is is in this show as Ric Flair's <laughs> right hand guy. Anytime you're going to throw Arn Anderson on screen at me, you're going to get a bonus point. Right, and then uh, they do like a Brock Lesnar's in this as well because I don't Fox think yeah I don't think I saw the previous re- I think he debuted the previous week I think if I remember right um, I don't remember seeing I only saw highlights of it so this was my, me watching it live for the first time seeing Brock pick up Rikishi and just throw him around backing that ass up yeah and it's just like man this guy whoa what the fuck's going on here and then seeing the great scene where they're, they're fighting over him but Vincent Mann comes out and says I'm going to pick Brock Lesnar and Flair's like, it's not your go. 
you're not changing the rules. And he goes, well, I, I'm going to pick Brock Lesnar now, and you can now pick your next two picks. Go ahead. You're not changing the rules. I'm having Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yeah. And so they go through, the, again, with this whole kids thing. Like They're, they're using the company as their own battleground. It does, like, it does lead to the one awful conversation backstage. But it's like they're always trying to come up with like, the worst pick. Like, well, I pick Big Show. Well, I pick Rikishi. Well, I pick Mark that's, Henry. Yeah, that's, that's where it is. I think it follows on from, it, it follows on from, um, from Brock Lesnar because he picks, yeah, he picks Brock Lesnar and he says, like, okay, well, in that case, you want to talk about strong men, I'll pick Mark Henry. Oh, you want to talk about big men, I'll pick the big show. You want to talk about big, I take Rikishi. And it's just funny, like, the crowd cheer for Brock Lesnar and the big show, but Mark Henry's like, uh, and then Rikishi's like, uh, like that. There's like SmackDown's going a bit by the wayside. Because suddenly, someone who's just brand new and has just come in has now been made significant by the fact that two guys are fighting over him. And like other things, like Benoit being the third pick, and like Kurt Angle saying, you haven't seen this guy for a while. And even I forgot about Chris Benoit for a bit, just because of the whole invasion angle. It's so busy, he forgot that he was coming back. And suddenly, like, fuck, that's a signal that Benoit's coming back soon. There was just so much, so much great things. And there was, the matches were fair enough, you know. They were just there to facilitate the rest of the show. You did get a couple of uh, main matches that, you know, progress stories or finish them, in the case of the NWO and Rock and Hogan. I think it's <laughs> worth mentioning that uh, the novelty of, of what this was, the device, this did feel huge at the time. But I just remember being, like, at the show, like, at the halfway point, thinking, what the fuck's happened to this selection? Like, all the people. The sporting elements... Of, of, of what is what may, I love it so much and it's kind of what people have alluded to throughout the course of the show when, when you do legitimate sporting moments or le- legitimate drama when a guy gets picked they put the stats board and stuff like that yeah yeah and, and the reason why I think this draft just kind of really stands out is because the, the chap who wrote in mentioned the 2004 one which is more of a lottery there were moments in there the Triple H one was fucking annoying because I wanted him gone. I mean, and, and, and people mentioned 2005 with the switch of the titles, John Cena goes to Raw. There was a lot of big moments, but there were just like one or two here and there. And those, those drafts was diminishing returns. Uh, it, oh, got, yeah. it got really bad when you were getting... How about John Raw. Cena getting trained to both shows on the same show? Yeah. That was awesome. Oh, by then, the drafts pretty much became, okay, who's managed to get themselves over on SmackDown and magically on ECW? and we'll put them on Raw and ECW will get Big Daddy V <laughs> and that's all it became and it just became it did, a farce it, it, of what it did it have that be. wonderful Taz commentary though which I think there's a compilation on YouTube of we need some pics <laughs> <laughs> get to a couple more here while we've still got a little bit of time Stuart Civitor on the Facebook page says the two I always remember the first was the Raw after the Rumble 97 when Bret Hart quits the show but comes back at the end and him and Steve Austin brawl which again does feature more great Steve Austin as he talks about how Bret's a quitter and he <laughs> Three crybabies and little boy blue. <laughs> uh, the second one he says, it's always stuck with me, was the August 2nd, 99 Raw. It started with the APA in the entranceway while the fireworks went off. They challenged The Undertaker in the big show, but Hardcore Holly comes out saying his boys weren't there yet. <laughs> this is during the days of the big shot. As it turns out, the APA attack them later in the show, and then Bob Holly, or, or they try to, then Bob Holly makes the save and gets on the microphone and he's like, this is the last time I'm going to save you two guys. <laughs> like, the big shot Bob Holly was good for a few weeks there. Uh, you also had D'Lo Brown becoming the Euro Continental Champion on this show. Uh, Edge and Christian reuniting a bloodbath match with Gangrel and at the end he had a big brawl with Triple H and Steve Austin both getting their finishes in. It just summed up that era for me, Car Crash TV. So this is during the Russo period so uh, I can imagine 
and this isn't one that came to mind for you personally, Carl, but uh, an interesting nomination there nonetheless that we haven't mentioned so far. And uh, S. Doyle Granger on the Facebook page says, The May 19th, 97 edition of Raw is my personal favourite episode of any wrestling show ever. Not because of any historical significance, although this was the airing of part one of JR's infamous sit-down interview with Mankind, but because it was my first live wrestling event. And Jesus Christ, what a roster to see. Michaels, The Hart Foundation, Goldust, Trips in China, The Nation, Undertaker, and wrestling god Steve Austin cemented this night as something I'd never forget. And then I met Steve Austin. It was brief, but he was nice enough to sign the backstage pass my uncle had given me, and to this day, that signature sits on my mantle. It was the greatest night of my seven-year-old life. Uh, in some actual notes on this show, this is the week after the Shawn Michaels uh, superkick on Bret Hart in the wheelchair that didn't make the air. So you get the <laughs> yeah. Sunny Days comment in retaliation. So that's yeah. what this show is. Uh, it's Steve Austin looking for a tag team partner off of the show, which is him beating up the Brooklyn Brawler and <laughs> walking on Sable Topless and stuff like that. The main event is Steve Austin versus Jim Neidhart. So uh, that's... It's, it's, just ran around a ring basically, yeah. basically <laughs> so it's not the best show in terms of actual matches but again personal nostalgia always plays a part in, in a show like this and, and when you watch at the time in terms of takeaways from this show in terms of what makes a great wrestling television show is there any kind of necessary pattern when it comes to, to, to drawing a favourite is it the show long thing or is it just because I, I think what's quite interesting about this is just how many people pick moments like the show mm. with this moment it's also like a, a lot from 98 as well a lot from 98 but, <laughs> but don't you think that it's just it's it's Stand out now when you when you like, especially because you know, obviously the show has been posted on the internet. I I I walk around the forums all the time trying to get an, a sense of what people think, and people are very keen to knock shows now. Like the show, the show, the show. There's weakness in the show, but ultimately, when it comes to something like this, people didn't really pick overall shows. They pick shows with moments they remember. Yeah, but it's been done in retrospect, so that's always going to be the case. Yeah. Um, you forget the shit and you, if those standout iconic moments are always going to be remembered yeah and that's not necessarily a knock in fact that's that's just an honest appraisal if something's so strong you're going to want to watch it, watch it back or remember it so um, and the thing is there's so, we've seen so many shows now yeah over these like 20 years or whatever even more it's impossible to remember whole shows yeah and actually the flow of a whole show apart from like something like uh, a lottery a, a draft um, so it's inherent you're going to remember moments like more than the actual combined cumulative effort of a show kind of thing perfectly reasonable to for, for people to think more about moments and for a large part it's, it's to be expected for, for the reasons Kieran alluded to there I think I, I think I I'm maybe more of an exception in the sense that my mind instantly went sort of went to which shows had had sort of a you know a show long narrative to them um, I, I, by no means do I think that was the rule, and nor do I think that it's necessarily the right way to go about it. It's you know, something like this. It, it's it's not objective. It's it's purely subjective, and and people have their own aspects on things. And you can understand why when it's when it's retrospective and you're looking back nostalgically, the sort of the bigger moments will will instantly come more to the fore than uh, than necessarily say a show which may be better on the whole perhaps you know from a, from a top to bottom show but doesn't doesn't have those standout moments it's interesting that match quality has not played a big role in this another at all another thing that I thought was interesting there were very few shows where people said that this show was great because of this great match again the, the exceptions are things like Flair and Wyndham that we've mentioned there before it's, 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 it's great angles it's big moments yeah. it's, it's interesting developments although I, did, I was thinking of just I don't, I'm not sure what the episode was but it's when Shawn Michaels was just shot on Benjamin on Raw I just fucking love yeah, that yeah. match yeah in the Gold Rush tournament yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. 
for us around the table and maybe for for a lot of our emailers as well not that i wish to cast dispersions on their age the way that everyone seems to on mine <laughs> um no but uh i think it's that we we've grown up in an era where you don't get you don't get a lot of what you would call great tv wrestling do you? you don't get a lot of great long matches you know, in in the sense we grew up in the attitude here, and it was always you know quick, fast, bam, bam, sharp, thank yeah, you, ma'am. short and snappy, more as opposed to what you call the sort of the thirty-minute classic. I honestly don't think that there is a one hundred percent like great TV show. I think that I think you can maybe argue that there's been pay-per-views like that, but TV shows it's very hard because it seems like it's either TV is very hit and miss. Or um, just the fact that TV is just there to supplement the pay-per-views, or at least it used to be. I'm kind of like back and forth on this, where I'm thinking like, I can understand if like a particular moment drives that person to believe that that show was great. But at the same time, part of me is thinking like, well, name something else. And in credit to a lot of the people that gave us the feedback, they did. So with that being said, I want to thank everybody for all the contributions. If we didn't get to yours this time, we apologise. We had so many to get to and we are unfortunately out of time. But before we go, I want to mention what we've got lined up next week because I'm very excited for our very first edition of uh, SCG Radio at the Movies. We are going to be doing our first ever movie review and the movie that has been selected around the Oaken Table was listed as a wrestling guilty pleasure on a previous episode. We are, of course, talking about Ready to Rumble, starring David Arquette. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be talking all about it on next week's show. And we are going to want your thoughts, comments, feedback on what you thought of Ready to Rumble at the time. If you want to watch it again to prepare for this show and give us your thoughts, feel free. Uh, this is going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to talking about this absolute... Well, we'll save it for Classic. next week. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. For G. John Chase. I will rule you. For Carl Jones. Who is so excited to be doing this next week. Can't wait. <laughs> and for Kieran O'Rourke. I, I, I can't believe we haven't mentioned how fantastically dressed I am today. Because no one can see you, so no one cares. I am Liam O'Rourke and we're out of here. Talk to you next week! Bye.